You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 486. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 25th of August, episode, the tip of a screwdriver causes a jet engine failure. A police drone damages a Cessna trying to land in Canada. More news, your feedback, and today's plain tale, ear test. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 486 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins. New York City! In New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from across the pond in his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Well, it took me a while to find that clip. There we go. Uh, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340, captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Oh, hi there, Jeff. Lovely to be back on again. And we're a bit short of presenters today, but I'm sure we'll get a few more later. Calling all presenters. <laughs> present yourself. Yeah, present yourself. Yes, yes with exactly. clothes on, please. All right. <laughs> this and time. Well, this yes. time. Well, and let, oh, never mind. All right. Let's uh, <laughs> let's be, let's move on before I get into trouble. Yeah. Too late. <laughs> Stand by for news. All righty. First item in our news segment, a forgotten, this is from flightglobal.com, forgotten screwdriver tip caused Jetstar A320 engine failure, according to the Australian Transport Safety Bureau, ATSB, has highlighted the danger of foreign object debris, FOD, after a screwdriver tip damaged the engine of Jetstar Airways Airbus A320. But it's just the tip. Uh, it was found in the high-pressure <laughs> compressor. That's of what the, she said. <laughs> exactly. Of the jet's right-hand uh, international aero engines, V2500. I know that engine well. That's what powered the, uh, the Acme um, MD90s. Uh, V2500 engine following an aborted takeoff on 23 really October 2020. I mean – yeah, it's, it's like a V, like a V eight, like a V twelve feet. No, that's a know. lot of cylinders. Two thousand five hundred <laughs> cylinders. Wow. Yeah. Now I don't know why they call it a V. I'm sure there's a some 
reason for, for it. victory. For victory, Liz says. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's <laughs> probably not right. Uh, anywho, um, they um, did a borescope inspection of the engine after they aborted their takeoff on uh, 23 October 2020. And uh, we do have some overlays that uh, Liz can pop up on the screen. Um, the aircraft, Victor Hotel, Victor Fox Fox, was operating the Brisbane Cairns route with 165 passengers and six crew, none of whom were injured in the incident. As power was being applied for takeoff, the crew reported feeling a vibration and hearing a popping noise that rapidly increased in frequency and volume. At the same time, the aircraft diverged to the right of the runway center line, despite the pilot uh, flying, applying full left rudder, full left rudder pedal deflection. The captain immediately selected reverse thrust and brought the aircraft to a stop. The A320, the A320 was towed back to the gate, and an on-wing borescope inspection showed that six of the engine's high-pressure compressor stages had FOD damage. Upon dismantling of the right-side engine, engineers, engineers found a screwdriver tip in the HPC. The ATSB determined that the screwdriver tip was in the engine for over 100 flights Wow, and had made its way into the high-pressure uh, compressor core when the engine was running, resulting in dents and nicks in numerous rotor blades and stator veins or state, stator, stator, I think. Correct? Well, how would you say that as a Brit? Stator? Stator. Stator. Yeah. Um, stator. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm emphasizing the or, but ah, stator yeah. blades. Well, you know, we Americans, um, we emphasize or. Stator. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Glenn thinks, oh, wrong one. That was um, <laughs> for, for very slow start. Yeah, okay. Glenn uh, in New Zealand thinks it was the whole screwdriver. Um, oh, well, not according to the that's not what the report ATSB says. says in their report. Yeah, and I hold boxes reckons they're just showing the tip and some tip bits. <laughs> very good. Ha, ha, ha. Uh -huh. but, oh, watch uh, out for those yeah. tip bits. Uh, yeah. Isn't it tidbits to or be Or tidbits, precise? that's true. It's Tim bits yes. up in Canada. Anyway, oh. okay. they uh, they said that that whatever it was, uh, it, to have been in there for hundred flights, uh, yeah, it it's pretty impressive. But there are parts of that jet engine where something can lodge and not move for quite a while, even though it's probably done damage going in, and uh, it can sit there in a sort of uh, little quiet recess, perhaps, and and not be disturbed by the roaring airflow around it. Um, uh, which is probably why they found that revealing part. Um, but, um, oh, the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, having done that little bit of damage, of course, unless the, en unless the engineers catch it on an inspection, yeah. uh, that'll be enough to cause uh, some fatigue uh, failures of blades, which is probably what actually happened during this takeoff. Well, what the maintainers need to do, and I think that this is in place in most shops, I think, uh, when they're operating or working on engines and such, or anything to do with an airplane, uh, tool control. The ATSB oh, said, tool absolutely. control is an important part of maintenance processes that ensures they do not lead to foreign object damage, and small and seemingly insignificant tool components can and have caused significant incidents or accidents. Tool control should extend to suedo. Suedo? Yeah. Pseudo. Pseudo, I'm sorry. I, I prefer suedo. Uh, consumable <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> items such as, uh, leave me alone. 
such as a <laughs> screwdriver tip and drill bit. It's been so a long day. It has been a long day, it really. Has. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I, I, I must say. Th- I mean, this is about the most. I, I speak to any in, uh, aviation engineer, and uh, tool control um, is not something you do in the gentleman's um, lavatory. <laughs> well, uh, it is, but not uh, in this case. It's a totally <laughs> true. But it's something that's been around almost as long as uh, aviation. Because uh, if you don't account for every tool you've used, uh, mm-hmm. it's why you sign for nuts and bolts. And if you don't use them, you have to hand them back or are supposed to. And it's supposed to be rigorously enforced because of the cost of just a simple thing. I don't know how much that that screwdriver tip would have cost the engineer to acquire Ten dollars, five dollars, less yeah, than that, probably. Probably less. Yeah. Uh, but the amount, the the amount of damage, the relative cost of the amount of damage is enormous. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how insignificant the item is; everything should be accounted for. Uh, it's why in the old days there used to be shadow boards. I don't know what the modern equivalent is. You know what? A sh- you mm-hmm. must have seen shadow boards, Jeff. Yeah. Where you took a tool, and when you took it off the board, it was like the it outline. Left a, yeah, a day glow shape mm-hmm. of that tool. And like at a, a glance, you could look at your shadow board and, mm-hmm. and see which tools were still missing. And uh, the engineer was supposed to have a tag that uh, when he took the tool down, he put his tag in its place so that mm-hmm. everyone could identify which engineer had that particular tool. And if and you're it, looking for that tool, a- you'll know who to go find. <laughs> <laughs> Get that tool back. I need it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So and it's just one of the basic tenets of engineering. And it's very sad to see that uh, it, you know, failures are still occurring. Yep. So true. And as uh, Liz and several people in our live audience are saying that uh, that's what they do at hospitals, you know, surgeons, 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 This is going to be a great show. I can't wait till I start pronouncing some of these interesting (laughs) names that I'm sure that Liz has somewhere in there for me. Absolutely. It's going to be uh, not good, not good. But uh, anyway, yeah. So lesson learned there. Uh, Just, you know. Well, if only, but. I mean, the the lesson has been has been taught yeah. for generations. Well, so why people forget? Why people think they can shortcut the system? Well, I mean, you know, why do why do air, uh, pilots continue to fly perfectly good airplanes into mountains and um, good question? You know, or we lose control? Yeah. So <laughs> have you got a Ouija board? Uh, I don't know. No, I don't have. I haven't talked to any that have done that. <laughs> okay. uh, because, yeah. Anyway, all right. Anything else to say before we move on? No, Looks but like, please stop doing it. It's yeah, dangerous it. and expensive. I'm sure whoever did it is listening to our show right now, and <laughs> yes. you should not do that. All right. Um, it looks like Steph, uh, status report, control room, telling us that Steph is trying to get home. Uh, she's she, behind a school bus that's stopping she's be- every oh, 150 school yards. Bus. Uh, she's behind a school bus that stops every uh, 150 yards. old school yards. bus trick. That's what yeah. Steph always But she says. even gave, uh, just so that we didn't think that she's making that up, she sent us a picture of said school bus. I'm sure she's yelling so, at the little kids. I could yeah. get a picture of a school bus off the internet right well, now. Well, that's true. But, I mean, and her car. I mean, her car is in and the image car, as well. Yeah. Her blue, bright blue Jeep. Uh, that might be harder. <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to uh, believe that this is real and not Photoshopped. Okay. Anyway. Uh, D- doing that Photoshop on the move would yeah. be pretty impressive. Very impressive. That's Steph. Yeah. Hmm. Impressive. Okay. Uh, news. 
<laughs> this is what we're doing. Uh, new <laughs> FAA guidance urges pilots to tell air traffic controllers when they're conducting an ILS autoland procedure, especially in good weather. Let me. Um, oh, I meant to do this I earlier. Thought that was already a requirement. Well, no, Did, I don't think it is. Your airline. Here. Have no, that now. no. I mean, I've done, oh. I've done many um, practice auto lands. In fact, I'd say every practice auto land that I've ever done, um, I have not asked for protection to be applied. So I don't necessarily ask for protection, but advise. We've always or let them know. I've always yeah. advised air traffic, That's and they usually idea. say protection won't be available because okay. they don't want to sp- screw the flow up. Yeah. just for you. So right. Anyway, yeah. Well, I mean, it. You know, it, it does really make common sense. Now, maybe some operators out there, and maybe there are several of, of those operators in our live audience. Maybe they can chime in and let us know if their company has always required that. I mean, maybe it's. Well, no, I don't know because this is a this thing here. Let me share this so everybody can see this uh, safety alert for operators. Uh, apparently, it's not just one airline like Acme. It's probably many more here in the U.S. that are. Um, that are uh, being warned about this and uh, told that they should probably, um, you know, let. So, would air you like me to now. kind of explain what's going on here? Yeah, please do. Okay, so uh, when you do a reel, uh, Cat Three, which is an auto land approach uh, using the instrument landing system, which will guide you onto the runway and usually uh, doing a rollout as well, so it'll guide you along the runway having landed. Um, once Cat Three conditions have been declared uh, and auto lands are the norm, then it's about the only way of getting in because the weather is so poor. Um, air traffic automatically apply restrictions uh, to movements around the ILS aerials because uh, a big piece of metal taxiing in front of uh, the instrument landing system aerials will distort the beam and it will affect the guidance uh, to the aircraft that's coming down to make uh, his landing. So um, that's all fine and beautiful in bad weather. That automatically happens. But in good weather, if you want to do a practice Cat 3 approach, a practice auto land, um, if you tell air traffic, uh, they might be able to uh, apply those restrictions in good weather uh, and keep the ILS aerials free of traffic. It could even be ground traffic. It can be buses driving around the airport or aircraft taxiing, aircraft on the runway. Um, you know, they might give the separation needed between aircraft and the room on the ground for people to be able to do uh, an auto land without any danger of the beams being distorted. Um it's unlikely uh, on most busy airports that they're going to do that. So they usually tell you that, yeah, you can do a Cat 3 auto practice auto land if you wish, but uh, protections won't be provided. And then it's up to the crew to spot very early on if they get any divergence, which you're supposed to do anyway during uh, uh, a Cat 3 landing if you can see the ground, um, uh, and take control manually to prevent uh, you you know, being guided off the runway onto the grass, as they're talking about here. Um, But um, it appears that people aren't doing that. So, one, they're not getting the warning that they won't have protection. Uh, And two, air traffic aren't being given a clue that they might be having an aircraft that's trying to do an auto land, and they don't even have an opportunity to... um, 
uh, make sure that, if possible, they keep the ILS area free of uh, disturbances. So they're just reminding people that if you're going to do a practice CAT3 approach, you should really let air traffic know uh, so that they can, if possible, uh, free up the area around the uh, ILS aerials so that you don't end up getting a last-minute diversion signal that drags you off the side of the runway when you're not expecting it. Having said that, if it's good weather and you're doing a practice, you should be expecting it. And yeah. if necessary, you kick out the autopilot yeah. and carry on manually. Yeah, you just take over. Uh, Ludger Humpert uh, in Germany, I believe, uh, says, we are no longer allowed to do practice autolands. Oh, that's interesting. So Our how do you keep quiet? Yeah, how do you keep all, well, all in the sim? We have to. It's all in the sim. Okay, but our airplanes have to have yeah. uh, a successful auto land uh, performed every ninety days, I think, and then they go non-current. Mm. Then you can't do auto lands. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't remember what the time period for us was, but we had to fill out a book, and part of the reasons that they always insisted you fill out the auto land book was so they keep keep a record and yeah. keep the aircraft equipment current as well as the air crew. Yeah. Uh, and if you didn't do them in the air, then you had to do them in the sim. I just did one on my last, not the trip that I just got back from, but the previous trip um, in the in the in the flight plan. At uh, the dispatcher had a note there or maintenance uh, that uh, you know request that you perform an auto land because it's getting close to non currency. Yeah. And I said so. Um, when we come back to Atlanta, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. And we'll, and not only will we do the auto land, but we'll go ahead and practice our category three procedures so that we can personally log those and then be good for. I think, I think it's the same period of time, 90 days or whatever. Interesting comment from Henry, too. Okay. Henry says, I've been on passenger jets when the captain was doing it. Oh, no, I didn't want to talk. <laughs> I was going to avoid saying oh, okay. anything about this because I don't want to get into this okay. discussion okay. again about <laughs> electronic devices. I, I feel like I've won that battle a long time ago. And that's why, by the way, electronic devices powered on is part of the uh, tagline of APG because – uh, before well, the days, I haul boxes agrees with you because he says Henry, that's BS. Yeah, I, I agree. I haul boxes, and uh, I agree that. Uh, but there are, you know, there are great people, great, really good pilots, very smart people out there that would disagree with with us. Um, I haul boxes, but that's okay. That's why I don't want to. I don't. I just don't like confrontation okay. and Sorry conflict. So I'm not going to. My bad. Oh, that's right. I should have read that, Liz, before I started to read what Henry was saying. Anyway. Um, and getting back to the – oh, um, before I do that, um, a couple of times I've done a practice auto land, and usually even without telling air traffic control and not having protection, um, the, the th it works out fine. Uh, and as Nick said, you're, you're following along on the controls anyway, and if the airplane starts doing something goofy, I mean, you immediately just hit – just pressing a button just turns it all off and you're hand-flying the airplane. Um, and uh, the, the one place – that I have um, done a practice auto land, and it was just hideously uh, un unacceptable. It was Charlotte um, Airport, and uh, on three six center both times. There's something wonky about the what happens to that signal down there in three six center. Uh, mm. But you know, I'm coming in maybe just a couple hundred feet above the ground, and the airplane just starts going. Mm just starts turning and go okay where are you going what what are you doing what <laughs> I go, okay disconnected i'm i'm taking over and landing the airplane you know turning back uh to the runway 
and uh, landing. And I'm thinking, okay. I think Neil has the final word here. Okay, trying Neil to, has trying the to think final what's happening word. at uh, Who the would end of disagree with APG? Heathens. Exactly, Neil. I'm sorry. Wait, I'm hearing a voice, another female voice. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's Liz. No, it's not. Um, and uh, so that means that I have to scramble here and uh, hit this thing. I don't have to, but I want to. Here we go. From her lakeside mansion <laughs> on Lake South. It's uh, Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper Dr. Staff. Hey, Captain Jeff. Sorry, you didn't need to do all that. I just wanted to... You started talking about Charlotte, and I was just going to put in my two cents about I was bad-mouthing Charlotte. Um, I know. And there's several things I was going to join on the. Uh, <laughs> I was going to. I was going to join you there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hi, Nick. Oh, he was. In the I I wasn't expecting to be required to speak. Sorry. Oh. You, well, Hi, you, Steph. You were always I, yes, required to speak. I was not expecting to be introduced so grandly. Uh, which is well, why I just butted in with my opinion. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Anyway, it's just interesting that it's uh, the same same runway uh, a, a couple of different times, and that I finally said, "Note to self: uh, Don't ever do a practice Autoland um, on this runway at Charlotte." And then, if you have to do a real Autoland approach, like request one of the other runways. <laughs> Don't no, not three six. Yeah. In fact, it wasn't long after that. I think I did see some kind of a notam that uh, referenced uh, doing. Auto lands on that runway. Um, maybe mm. they fixed that situation. I don't know, but it's kind of uh, unnerving when you see an airplane starting to do that. Of course, uh, you know we're doing it in visual conditions, so it's you know you're just following along, seeing if this thing will perform a, a successful or satisfactory at least uh, landing on its own. And uh, the airplane that I'm on now, uh, and the previous one, uh, the Mad Dog and the 717, uh, both do a really good job. Not quite as impressive as that uh, Lockheed L-1011 TriStar. I've never seen an airplane in my life do an auto land like that airplane. I'm sure that the Airbus 340-600 probably did a wonderful job as well. Oh, it wasn't bad, but uh, I, I love the fact that uh, when our Royal Air Force got some of those aircraft, uh, mm-hmm. that we converted them to tankers and things, mm-hmm. um, we crashed one, uh, well, pretty badly damaged one, Trying to do an auto land, oh. and uh, the auto land wasn't <laughs> badly actually... damaged. Sounds like crash. You can say that. Yeah, no, it, there wasn't one fitted um, on that airplane, <laughs> oh. so it wasn't serviceable. So um, this crew Oopsies. kind of flew hands <laughs> off, good. and this thing whack, whacked into the runway. You know, uh, hey, hey yeah. Joe, yeah, check check yeah. the maintenance log. See if this thing actually has an auto land capability. <laughs> nope. Oh it no, oh, disabled. Okay. Oops. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Wow. Okay. So the recommended action from this safety alert for operators, SAFO or SAFO, probably SAFO because it rhymes with safe. Um, Operators are encouraged to incorporate flight crew operational procedures for the flight crew to inform ATC of their intent to conduct an auto land approach. The information will enable ATC to issue an advisory if the critical area will not be protected in the event of an auto land approach. Operators are encouraged to ensure adequacy of their flight crew manuals regarding effective flight crew briefings, stabilized approaches, 
including monitoring for any deviation from the intended flight path and go-around procedures during auto land operations. Flight crews should use caution during all auto land procedures. Preceding arriving or departing aircraft may cause deviations to the ILS signal. Such deviations may be present during Cat 1 or better weather conditions, even when the ILS critical area is protected. So anyway, there you go. So everybody out there, make sure that your safety departments at your particular airlines are aware of this. I'm sure they are. They, they probably knew it before we did, for sure. All right. That is all we have to say about that, I think. Anything else to add? Or? Some pronunciation. Okay. Nope. Oh, boy. Uh, Liz is warning me that I might have to do some pronunciation. So I hope you're all going to have fun, kids. Um, C is the preliminary report at that crash at the Petropavlos, Petropavlovsky, um, <laughs> AN 26 near Palana. Uh, I, I've done that better in the past. Uh, I kind of failed. Um, You're tired. Fabulously. Today. Yes, Pet- I'm tired. Petropavlovsk. Petropavlovsk, Kamchatsky yeah, to Palana or Palana, Palana. Kamchatka. Russia. Haven't you ever played Risk? No, it's Kamchatka. It, it says it says K A M C H A T S K Y. Well, not the first time. It the doesn't. first one says Kamchatka. Oh, uh, well, that's probably well because one is the name of the company, and the second one is a place. Whatever. Okay. Anyway, don't get hung up. Well, it's too late, Liz. We've already gotten hung up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so we know it was the airplane that uh, was doing the the NDB approach and was not doing anything even close to what was charted. And uh, the air traffic controllers warned them that they were kind of way off the track that they should be on. And they descended and flew it right into the uh, very cliff. rapidly rising terrain, or another word for that is a cliff uh, at the uh, on the uh, ocean, or I guess it's an ocean. Yeah, it's an ocean, yeah. Um, anyway, we have the preliminary report, and it says on August 17th, the MAK released their preliminary report reporting the crew had delayed the flight by about 90 minutes due to weather conditions at Palana. Then the aircraft departed. The MAK basically reiterated the information already released earlier, adding that no command or action to extend flaps or gear was recorded, and there was no activity on the flight controls in the three seconds prior to impact, which I kind of think me means that they were not aware of their situation as far as how close to the ground they were and also, the fact that uh, they didn't realize they were about to encounter rapidly rising terrain or the cliff, yep. and they didn't it's make any attempt. Yeah, yeah. M- no attempt mm-hmm. at all to try to pull pull up or anything. And now, Liz and I were talking about this a little bit uh, yesterday. Um, I'm wondering if this airplane. I-, I think that if it were the type of airplane that most of us fly these days, uh, that have enhanced ground proximity warning systems, where it has a database uh, and uses GPS to, it knows exactly where you are and knows what the terrain database is, and it would be able to see and look ahead and go, you know, this altitude you're at <laughs> is not going to work out well because you're about to fly into a cliff and give you some kind of warning that terrain is ahead and that you need to climb. 
it might be the old-fashioned kind of GPWS system that I think just looks straight down. It uses the uh, radio altimeter that's just pointing basically straight down. And so if you're flying over the ocean, um, you know, you it's probably going, oh, they're okay. There's no warning to issue. And then all of a sudden, it just rises up like a cliff, and then boom, it doesn't have a chance to to sound off to warn the crew. So do you think that's probably what the case is here, that they uh, had an old-fashioned GPWS and not an enhanced system? Absolutely, yeah. Anything with steep rising terrain, uh, the radar isn't going to see until it's too late. Yeah. So uh, that's why EPGWS was uh, is is such a boon because it mm-hmm. can look ahead, it can predict what you're about to fly into, and give you a chance to get out of the way. Yep. Oh, it's also interesting when you're flying an airplane with an EGPWS system uh, when you go to an airport that maybe hasn't been. Oh, I know what the deal is. Sometimes we'll fly an airplane that, or um, an, a flight into an airport that is not included in the uh, in the the database, the uh, flight management system database. That was on our the old airplane that I flew. That the the thing just didn't have enough memory to have all the stuff. So I think it was Tallahassee that we were flying into. And so what we'd have to do is we had to pick an airport that was close to that airport. Uh, just to kind of do the navigation to get down there. And then you had to do it old school, you know, with regular navigational aids, um, ground-based navigational aids to if you had to fly an instrument approach or something like that. So, uh, But the interesting thing about that is you have to make sure that you turn off the uh, ground proximity, the, the terrain um, function of the ground uh, eGPWS system because it's going, what are you doing? Where are you going? You're way too low. Why are you descending? You know, it just starts screaming at you terrain, terrain, and everything else. So you have to be sure that you remember to do that. Otherwise, um, it's a little startling when you are flying the airplane and it's screaming at you that, and you're going, I see the runway. I'm I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit anything. I don't know what is going on here. But anyway, and not, I'm not saying that that's happened to me. Just a good friend of mine. It doesn't sound like it has. No, No. thank you. Just (laughs) something you've heard about. It's really hot in here. I, I imagine uh, it's a similar temperature there outside as it is here. Turn your air conditioning on. I don't want to turn my air conditioning on, Liz, because it's going to make noise. And then if I open up the doors. Um, so it's probably like mid-90s outside and you're just going to let all that heat. Well, spread. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll open the doors and maybe get some Nick is, flow. is just undressing here completely. <laughs> not, not completely. Um, here, let me take my tie off. I'm just wishing we had some of this warm weather here. Oh, is it? It comes with thunderstorms. Yeah, Uh, we can have cold weather and thunderstorms. (laughs) Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah. I don't know. The lake is a bath. That's for sure. It's about all right. I'll be right back. Okay. It was ninety-one point nine degrees Fahrenheit yesterday when I was in the lake. That's amazing. Uh, how much wow. is that in real money? I have to. I don't know. I gotta ask Google about that. Hold 30, on. Someone, will, someone in the chat will be faster than me because, like, um, ninety-two. We'll call it ninety-two. Need to be about thirty-five. Maybe that sounds close. Um, Thirty-three. Okay, two degrees out. Mm. Close enough. But. I think this is the red clunk, face clunk. show. Clunk, clunk. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't hear us yet. Okay, now you can hear us. You should 
We should stop the talking red about face show, not the red nose show. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I'm not sure that this is going to do any good because it's like really. I was warm. just letting that's, the hot air in. I know. I think that's what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> now it's just going to be an oven. <sighs> oh, wait, the birds sound a, nice though. I have a um, a ceiling fan up here. I don't. And I don't think it makes too much noise. Hang on. I bet it does. I bet it makes a lot of noise. <laughs> Wait for it. It's a bit of an echoey room. I think I'm just well. hearing traffic outside, not necessarily the. Yeah. <sighs> Why don't you just turn the air conditioning on? Because it just makes too much noise. It, it is quite loud, actually. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, what he was hearing was not only the air conditioning, but the, the refrigerator decided to do its like cycle where it makes noise. Mm-hmm. You know, the compressor. It has a noise cycle. It oh, is. Wow. Okay. I should probably just turn off the noise cycle. But <laughs> I, I, I just say. unplugged the entire thing. So the refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now yeah. so you're, now your food's going to spoil and it's going to be no, 100 degrees. Don't house. forget to plug it back in. It is first, when he forgets to turn it back on. First again. of all. You you would have you you're making the assumption that I have food in the refrigerator, uh, and the, well, right now I know my, there's no food in my refrigerator. The refrigerator that I have, Steph, uh, uh-huh. largely resembles Justice's. Uh huh. Mostly but beer, but not but not quite as many beer beers in there. You don't there. have three refrigerators full of beer. No, it's just okay. um, not even a full six. That pack. you're just hanging on to because it was something rare and you wanted to have it. No, and then never drink it. No, okay. that's not me. I just drank. Like I just drink everything. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Every every time I have a wine or a, or a beer that I want to collect and keep, um, at, at some point usually it gets consumed. consumed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I I just rather drink it than keep it. Okay. That's just me. All right. So anything here? So let's let's go back on to the show. So anything else to add about this? Again, it's the preliminary report. We're expecting to hear more information about this um, when they come up with their final report. Uh, the one thing I don't remember seeing previously was this uh, track on Google Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which... we had we had it last time, I think. Did we? Oh, or okay. No, we didn't. Just... No, you're right. We didn't have that. It's so... just that we, we, I always assumed that they hit the cliff coming inbound. Mm-hmm. Um, they did, and that they were well north of the airfield. But looking at this track, it looks like oh. they were they. I I can't work out whether this track is supposed to be uh, coming inbound or because it looks like they're on an inbound track coming inbound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Style stupid. Yeah, no, I think sorry. they are. So they came inbound, but along the coast. And then they went out over the water and then back Right, in. but I think he's talking about that final segment. And yeah. I think that, that if you compare that and overlay that final segment of that um, uh, Google Earth graphic with the NDB approach, not the uh, RMP one, uh, but the NDB, um, the, and, and their actual, the actual track was like more, much more north, north or northwest of where they were, they were supposed to be. They're okay. Uh, so um, it looked. It looks like uh, the bit of high ground was only about two miles north of their inbound track. Uh, would that be right from that uh, close-up graphic? I need to here. Let's let's share this with everybody so they can look okay. at it as well. 
Um, here we go. Now I'll scroll down and we can look at the graphic that Nick, to which Nick is referring. And I'm just trying to get straight in my head what they did. So there's that. Oh, sorry. There's that red line, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, shows them coming over the airfield, uh, mm -hmm. doing a, a, a nine, 90 left and then a 180 to come inbound. Mm -hmm. uh, none of that is uh, correct as regards the ADB procedure. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's uh, and but it looks like they're they're more or less down the valley. So the high ground on that close up, the next picture down, okay. seems to indicate that they hit the ground only a couple of miles north of their intended inbound track. So that's actually, you know, uh, that's a pretty dangerous. A piece of high ground to have so close to the airport. I'm a, I'm just amazed that, uh, and by that time you're supposed to be established on the inbound radial, and you know um, safe. I I just wonder what error was occurring on the flight deck to displace them well, the, so far north. Of I mean, their I agree that they were track. they were definitely displaced for the proper track. But I think the thing that killed them was the fact that they were supposed to level off at a certain altitude. I had to find the um, the excuse me narration uh, or the narrative here uh, they were descending to 600 meters that did not report reaching 600 meters they were supposed to stop at 600 meters and they just kept descending um, well if they were on the inbound track approaching the coast they would have to descend because as they kind of coasted in they're going to be have to need they're going to need to be below 600 meters according to the uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Put into that, they do the uh, inbound turn on a platform height of 600 meters, and then as soon as they're inbound, they start descending because oh. otherwise they're going to be too high to oh, I see. Uh, to land. Um, so I, I'm going, well, yeah, they're supposed to descend, but their error was being displaced a couple of miles north where that high ground is. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm just wondering what they were using to track in, perhaps – their ADF equipment was broken and they were doing it by dead reckoning or something. I, I don't understand. Uh, but I suspect we're going to find out eventually. Yeah. Because they should have been flying more or less up the estuary. And they sort of were, according to the red line. Uh, but they were just a little bit north of where they should have been. They're certainly not established on the inbound track. So, And as we know, if, unless you're within five degrees of that inbound bearing on your adf you're not supposed to descend mm -hmm. if you go outside five degrees you go around yeah uh, they were definitely outside five yeah, degrees more, at that point of five. impact yeah. yeah um and in fact the place where they impacted was kind of near where this um high terrain um marking is oh, sure. 239 meters absolutely so I, I guess that that uh that marking on the approach plate here that we're looking at um, is signifying the kind of dangerous terrain or something. I don't know. It looks like there's a like peak. A, yeah. Is that yeah. what you're looking at? No, I'm looking at like the uh, the gold color or brown color oh. or little triangle oh, things. Oh, I think that Cliff. just indicates cliffs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's I guess if you were on that NDB uh, inbound course of 099, um, the terrain drops enough in that little valley right there, the, the little river yeah. valley for them to avoid hitting yeah. stuff. But, I mean, their initial turn was nothing like that. To, no. to fly that procedure correctly, they should have hit the beacon, 
entered mm -hmm. the holding pattern, mm -hmm. do one turn around the holding pattern, then come outbound on the outbound radial uh, for that time, three minutes, 30 seconds, then do a, a turn inbound to come out on 099, pick up the inbound radial, and then you can descend below 600 metres once you're established and fly the rest of the approach. But they didn't do any of that stuff. So I'm going, well, they were John Waning it. Yeah. And Talk the John Wayne, we'll hear about him later. Oh, yeah. yeah good segue. <laughs> good pre uh, tease segue. 350 looks like the um, minimum descent altitude. Yeah. And I believe they hit the one that, yeah, they hit the, the cliff at 260 meters. So they yeah. descended yeah. below they were, the. Uh, well, yeah, but they were past the. Um, that point there. Was that well, six I know, but I mean, they, yeah, but I mean, they weren't on the right court. We've already discussed all that. Yeah, that, yeah. and if you don't see anything, obviously, right, you don't keep descending. You don't keep descending below three hundred and fifty right. uh, meters. Right, you execute a miss, or you continue on the track at three hundred and fifty meters, and then at the missed approach point, you execute yes. the missed approach. <sighs> anyway, so yeah, as you said, Nick, um, hopefully we'll get what was uh, what they think happened here on the uh, on the final report. So. Looking forward to it. I have to put iHall Boxes comment up here. Okay. Uh, iHall Boxes says NDB EFB interference maybe should have turned I off the phone. some sarcasm there. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't you start it. Don't. Don't do it. I have a headache uh, and I'm hot. All right. Hot damn hot. Hot damn. Uh, yeah. I've, I've got the trigger. Do you want me to ban him? No. No. He's, uh, he's just being funny. Sure? Yeah. I'm sure. Don't. Man, you're just... He can't wait to ban somebody. <laughs> That's a warning to so all of you in the second, chat room. Be careful. The second yeah, time ever I've suggested it, and I think Liz is our prime banner anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's continue on with item D. I'm supposed to do all these things, right? Yes. Okay. I see the one that I'm going to say for Rick. Okay. Uh, accident. Japan com commuter AT42 near Kagoshima uh, on... Or you could say Kagoshima, but I think that that would be a very non-Asian way to pronounce that. Kagoshima. On October 12th, 2019, upset causes injury to flight attendants. So this is back a couple of years, not quite two years ago. And a Japan Air Commuter Avion de Transport Regional ATR 42-500 registration JA01JC performing flight. 3763 from Kagoshima to Tanakashima was en route at 11,000 feet, about 55 nautical miles south of the K city at about 1120 local time when the aircraft experienced an upset causing serious injuries to a flight attendant. The crew returned the aircraft to K city for a safe landing about 38 minutes after departure. Japan's TSB reported the flight attendant received a serious injury, the posterior fracture of right angle when the aircraft experienced ankle. an upset. Huh? Ankle? Ankle? Uh-huh. What did oh, I say? I heard angle. Oh, well, let me make it more clear. A fracture of right ankle. Thank you. Ankle. Uh, when the aircraft experienced an upset at about 3,200 meters of altitude, about 65 kilometers from about 35 nautical miles north-northwest of Tanagashima. On August 18th, 2021, the Japanese Transport Transportation Safety Board released their final report, concluding the probable cause of the accident 
was that the aircraft was suddenly shaken. <laughs> that was okay. Uh, therefore, the cabin attendant who was walking along the aisle fell off balance and was injured. It is probable that regarding the aircraft was suddenly shaken was because the aircraft attitude changed due to the nose up pitch control by the flight crew members to avoid exceeding the um, velocity maximum, I guess, VMO, um, do not exceed speed and the nose up effects resulting from an increase in the aircraft speed following the encounter of localized changes in the wind direction and velocity. So in other words, they were flying fast. And they got close to the do not exceed speed or the uh, maximum operating speed. And they kind of freaked out and then pulled back um, more aggressively than they should have. And the action of them trying to keep the airplane from going too fast uh, caused a, uh, a lot of G-forces to happen. 3.3 uh, is what yeah, it says. Yeah, 3.3 G from 0.6 to 3.3 in like one second or something. So that's that's quick. Um, when you say they, you're quite correct because they both grabbed all of the control yes. and, and heaved back, um, which is not an ideal thing to do. No. Now, so I'm reading all this and looking at the report and everything else. And so far, they're not really saying much about the weather. And then I looked at the graphic. Uh, Liz, can you put the overlay on there for me? Yes, sir. And uh, we can now um, see the uh, approximate position mm. of this um, incident. Uh, oh, look, what is this? <laughs> Looks like a hurricane. Yeah, or a typhoon, typhoon, I guess, in this case. Looks like a big honking typhoon over Japan. And uh, in the bottom uh, left is the approximate position. But they're like very close to the outer bounds of a very mean looking typhoon. And I'm thinking, what the heck are they? <laughs> Are they doing that close to the typhoon to begin with? But uh, And why do they not have the seatbelt light on? And why is the flight attendant up walking around the cabin in these conditions? Uh, that's what I'd like to know. Um, yeah, they saved the best for life. Are we sure it's it not just, uh, a, you know, just an ordinary pressure system and they've used funny colors? I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That is definitely what a typhoon. Was the, what was the date of this flight? October 12th, 2019. Mm-hmm. Let's see. You're going to look up typhoons? Uh-huh. Okay. Typhoon All right. Look, uh, Steph is um, tapping into her uh, personal uh, typhoon database that she keeps typhoon with her at all times. Typhoon Hagabee. Hagabees? 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 I don't know. It was a uh, at one point a Category 5 hurricane. There you go. Or, mm -hmm. Category 5? On the ground. Was What's it like? How high were they? <laughs> uh, some Some odd meters. 11,000 I mean, feet. They're, 11, they're, not feet. Exact, they're not in it at that point. No, they're not in the, it. No, but as you know, you've flown close to typhoons and hurricanes and such. I have. And, I mean, you get within 100 miles of the thing, and you're not going to have a smooth ride. Oh, okay. I, That's I, my experience. I've gone past them and not had too many problems. More than light. Hmm. I've flown over them and not had too many problems. But well, I guess not like that severe. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway they they should they should not have been flying so fast to begin with that close to the and and have anticipated the possibility that you might get into some turbulent airflow because you're pretty close to a typhoon. Yeah, it's not like it was a very benign day. They've got an ugly looking monster sitting off their shoulder. Yeah. 
I think that the thing was interesting to me about this report is that they hardly even mention. In fact, I don't even think they mention they, they the do name talk about atmospheric typhoon. conditions and they do not mention the no. typhoon at all. Right. Correct. They, they don't. Flight crew members forecast of weather conditions based on weather information provided. Mm-hmm. Um, it is probable that the flight crew members anticipated that they would be less likely to encounter turbulence that could affect the flight. Okay. Well. Because yeah. it was a round-trip flight in the previous flight. Um, I guess they were familiar with the flight conditions. Okay. As it was round-trip. And that was the well, then, return uh, leg. Then they did nothing wrong. Uh, of course, what they didn't spot was the change in temperature. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you keep an eye out for that, Jeff. But mm-hmm. uh, I... I a marked change in outside air temperature is usually an indication that you're about to hit some turbulence. Yep. Um, uh, I was going to say upper air. They're only eleven thousand feet, so mm-hmm. but I, I'm sure it you know works in the lower atmosphere as well. Uh, in the upper atmosphere, um, instead of air moving around from pressure difference, they move around in temperature difference, which is one of the reasons you get jet streams up there. But a change in outside air temperature, a dramatic one, is usually a precursor to a few lumps and bumps. So um, I, I used to keep a close eye on it. Um, and uh, if you're flying very close to VMO, not sensible, even you know in the smoothest of days, I give yourself a bit of a margin. Uh, because uh, you know, otherwise you can very easily. And they went, I think, from uh, a tailwind of about ten or twenty knots to a headwind of thirty knots. It's a forty or fifty knot change. Mm-hmm. That's going to give you a lot of additional speed. Yep. Uh, indicated airspeed and put you well into the red band. Uh, you need to be aware of that. So. And then they just be prepared they just for it. reacted to aggressively to keep yeah. the airplane from exceeding the speed and they should have been more concerned about the forces that they yeah. were putting into the airplane i, I mean looking- they, they mentioned that the controls were very stiff yes artificial field does that it's supposed to provide a relate relation a relationship between the feel of the controls and your indicated airspeed just like uh, a manual set of controls the faster you go the harder they are to move that's exactly what an artificial field is supposed to duplicate so yes they are going to be hard to move because you're going fast and it's kind of warning you that you know don't pull hard because we're going fast and it's very easy to overstress the airplane so what happens they both come on the controls there's no takeover of control when the captain came on the current trials he just gave a heave along with the first officer and of course they overstressed the airplane much more serious than overspeeding the airplane yes uh, the uh, the aircraft has got a built-in safety factor uh, of an overspeed i don't know 10 20 30 knots depends on the design and uh, what the manufacturers have built in uh, but there's not an awful lot of over g uh, safety you can over g and destroy the airplane very easily and quickly so uh, much better to allow the airplane to over speed a little bit get the speed brakes out you've already got the engines idle as they had uh, and just gently pitch the airplane up to get the speed back um, except the bells there i know it's distracting but except the bells for the moment uh, and then when you're pointing up safely uh, you won't have broken the uh, cabin crew's uh, ankle Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to point out quickly, you were talking about lower um, atmosphere and drop in temperature and um, 
there's actually a warning in four flakes. I spent a lot of time looking at winds from 3000 feet up to about 15,000 feet. And if there's, if it knows there's a rapid temperature drop, it actually even gives a warning to draw your oh, attention to it. Clever. It says rapid clever. temperature like drop, that. possible unstable air. Warning, warning, warning. <laughs> but I always make warning, that warning, Will, Will, Robinson. Will Robinson, warning. Yes. <laughs> Danger, so, danger. So that information is readily available. So. Okay. Yeah, obviously not not to Japanese or not on the Airbus. I might point out we we hadn't got anything that fancy on the Airbus. Mm. Yep, you just got to use your Mark V eyeball or whatever they call it, and uh, be looking for things like this. Dale, uh, they're asking what should you do. I think we've just said you should have obviously reduced thrust. Uh, you should use speed brakes, and you should gently because you're going at high speed now. Uh, pitch the airplane up to get the speed back. Um, so that's pretty simple. Yeah, and just be very gentle with the controls. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And our last item in the new segment for this part of the two-parter is from Canada. Huh. wonder why we're getting news mm. from Canada again. Hm. Well, it was Colonel um, Jeff's fault. Th- oh, yeah, it was Colonel Jeff's fault. It wasn't Liz's fault this mm-hmm. time. Uh, and Col- I, I did see this uh, several other places as well. Do we need sound effects for this one? Um, oh, yeah. Only if you can find the oh, right button. Oh, okay, yeah. That's going to be a... a pressure, here. pressure. Yeah, okay. It's <laughs> hot and flustered now. I know. It's already um, hot. <laughs> or at least hot. Temperature hot. He needs a yeah. drop in temperature. Uh, I'm sure I can find it. If I hit D, what would happen? Oh. The drone is... Okay. An air... Oh, okay, that's enough. Stop. All right, we're... Is housekeeping there? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Housekeeping! Housekeeping. All right. Uh, A wonderful fade out. Yes. I was so hoping D was going to be Danger Will Robinson. (laughs) Yes. Well, an aircraft attempting to land at Buttonville, an airport with proximity to Toronto's suburbs and proximity to uh, Liz's house, <laughs> sustained major damage after being hit by a York Regional Police drone earlier this month. Strangely enough, the country's air navigation service provider, Nav Canada, was not even informed of the police drone operation. The unfortunate incident, which took place on August 10th, comes to light via a Transport Canada report issued this week. According to the report, a Cessna aircraft belonging to Canadian Flyers International was about to land at the airport's runway when the pilot felt a jolt that pushed them back on their seat. The pilot thought that the plane must have hit a large bird and proceeded to land. Yeah, a large metal bird. And uh, there was no change in configuration or power since they were about 500 feet above ground level and landing was imminent. The report reads, when exiting the aircraft, they were shocked to see a major dent on the left underside of the engine cowling. The airbox was also bent. A few hours later, a police detective confirmed a York Regional Police drone had struck their aircraft. The aircraft suffered major damage, including a propeller strike. The report doesn't detail what the drone was doing in Class E airspace or why Nav Canada wasn't advised of its operations. YRP, which uh, that's the uh, York uh, Police Department, which has been operating drones since 2015, is yet to acknowledge the incident publicly. <laughs> They're hoping they would just go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, nothing to see here. They've gone silent. Yeah. As the news broke, many drone operators were quick to point out 
uh, had this alleged act of negligence been caused by a civilian pilot, the police would have cited them by now. Oh, yeah. Did you see, it's not in this article, but did you see the um, the actual no. uh, photo of the actual damage? It's no. pretty impressive. It's like mm. the whole underside of the engine cowling is pretty well smashed. So like if it had been just maybe a little bit hitting the airplane a little bit higher, I mean, that higher. could have it brought have the whole darn really airplane bad. down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. Not good at all. So have the police put up their hands and said, it was no. us and we're sorry? Not really. They've kind what of... I hear? I've heard. They kind of They're sort like, of have oh, acknowledged yeah. it, but they didn't want to go too public with it. A <laughs> funny old thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. And that uh, clip source is from dronedj.com. So... Um, that'll be in the show notes if you want to read more. And then, um, of course, as as Steph said, uh, you, I guess there are several different places out there you can read about this and uh, with probably more detailed Yeah, if you, if you Google it, you can find a picture of uh, the aircraft. It's 172 shows. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, that's it. We're going to go ahead and uh, get ready with that uh, new graphic. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. Here we go. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you, getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. This is the real words. Getting to know you. I've never read, uh, sung this part, putting it my way, but nicely, you are precisely my cup of tea. Um, but yeah, those are the real words. I'm, I just want to make Steph happy. I'm so happy right now. Good. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. But I'll probably go back to the modified words in the future because mm. it is the getting to know. I could write us. you some modified words if you oh, like. Oh, boy. I bet he could. Yeah. Uh, G-rated? They ones? won't be suitable for actual no? use on the podcast. Not for a family show? She's Perhaps. <laughs> it's been a long time since I played that uh, Mike Michael Smith um uh, family show. Well, I, you don't know. I haven't tried yet. I might be a budding Tim Rice. Uh-huh. Might, uh, whoever that is. Oh, my gosh. You don't know who Tim Rice is? No, who's Tim oh Rice? Oh, my God. Sorry. He, he writes all the all the words for um, shows in, like, uh, Cats, like, Chess. Uh, um, he did some the... Disney stuff as well. Oh, I think. yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just a Neanderthal, apparently. Up there in the cabin. You're not that advanced, Jeff. I'm, don't worry. I'm just, yes, I'm just a simpleton <laughs> in my cabin in the woods playing my banjo and got my, <laughs> got my shotgun Strong over there on the side and my, yeah, my straw, my teeth, and my rocking chair. <laughs> and your jam jar of moonshine. And Ooh, that hit. sounds actually kind of nice. Let's see. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. You, there we go. I found it. All right. So, getting to know us. Why would you want to? I don't know, but we're going to tell you anyway. <laughs> um, oh, let's start off, if you don't mind, Nick. Um, I'll, I'll start with my uh, what I've been doing. I was on a four-day trip. Just got back, like, I don't know, a couple of hours ago, if that. And uh, it was a great trip, especially on day two, uh, Monday. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I got to meet up with somebody that we all know and love from the Charlotte area. 
her name, Dr. Steph. Uh, she picked me up at the hotel. We went over to Legion Brewing Company. Uh, mm. Turns out that there are more. There is one, more than one location. <laughs> I was I was unaware of this. <laughs> yes, and uh, because Steph had communicated with uh, Armando, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, one of the hosts of the PTUK podcast, and uh, he said, "Hey, I'm just going to go drive down from." where I live and meet up with you guys. And uh, we were going like, what is taking him so long? I know there's probably a lot of traffic and stuff. Yeah, a lot of traffic and he's not really that close. Yeah, um, not driving wise. And then finally we thought, maybe we should check up and see how he's doing. And he said, well, I'm here. Where are you guys? He called. Oh, he called. called me. Yeah, Yeah. you tell the story then. He called me. He said, "Uh, we're at a table outside. Where are you guys? I said, we're inside. And he's like, well, I just did a lap around there and didn't see you. I said, well, that's weird. I didn't, we're sitting right by the door. I would have noticed if you came in. And there's not that many other people here. So I went outside and looked around and I went, okay, where are you really? He said, Legion Brewing. I said, that's where I am. And he goes, the one in this other part of town? I said, nope. Didn't even know that they had one there. <laughs> <laughs> we're like 15 minutes away. <laughs> so he so, was, uh, yeah. I, he, I apologize profusely because I did not realize that there was more than one location. Um, I'm not sure when that opened, but I'm thinking it might have been relatively recently. Yeah, um, I'm probably wrong on that too. It's probably been there forever. Um, so he was um, a good sport about it and drove over and met up with us at the location that we were at. And we did get to hang out for a decent amount of time. We all had to go kind of early for various reasons. But Not only did we get to hang out with Armando, but Armando's daughter was with him mm-hmm. as well, Maddie. That's true. And uh, she's such a cutie. She's seven years old. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, she enjoyed every moment of hanging out of with our the adults. Con- yeah. <laughs> of our conversation. No, no she was not like, at all. Can we go, Daddy? <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm just going to sit here on my iPad, and then can we go? Yeah. Can we go? No, she was, she was good. So anyway, we had uh, some some good food and great beer and uh, so-so conversation. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. It was uh, it was good to and see. Then we Amanda. went and robbed a bank. Where's yes. Amanda? Well, uh, well, he there? left before we forgot to take we forgot to take a picture, and he left. Yeah, we were at so the bar here, and uh, you know, kind of like settling our tab. settling the tab. <laughs> and oh yeah, we should probably. Uh, Steph says, "Oh, you know, we should probably take a, a picture." And I went, "Yeah, too bad. We should. We could have done that with Armando here, <laughs> but oh well." And we didn't record anything either. But you know, it would have been boring yeah. to hear what we had to say anyway. So, nah, there we are, uh, or there we were. Actually, uh, I love the effect on the, uh, the radiating mm-hmm. uh, ceiling planks. Yeah, I'm sure that stuff did that on purpose. Uh, yeah, light they're kind of like looks really good. Wood beams. Yeah, ah, I think it just exactly. happened that way, which is. I did. Uh, but I, 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 I believe it's good. good. On purpose. I love it. Thing in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were just Steph, standing at the bar. Steph, the, cam- <laughs> the camera's over here, Steph. Yeah. I, well, I had to look at where I was put- button, pushing the button because there's no tactile uh, feedback. The button. Uh oh. Um. What? Why, why are you saying uh oh, Liz? Right, the the professional photographer is giving me grief. I'm frozen now. Oh, I am. Because you froze. Oh, now you're unfrozen. Oh, the video oh yes, you froze slightly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be moving again now, but you're, oh, sure. you're a bit fuzzy around the edges. Well, that's no good. Oh, you know what I need to do? You need to sharpen up and fly right. I think. Hang on. Let me see if I have the. Yeah. Turn on the air conditioning. Um, <laughs> no, the no I don't think it has anything to do with that. <laughs> yeah, it oh, I know when you I, turn I, off the air uh, conditioning. I do remember. I know now. Turn the why. fridge back on. No, I don't have the. Your screen is melting. Hard, That's the problem. The I don't have it hardwired. I, I'm using the Wi-Fi, so the, heat. the high the, the Wi-Fi is not quite as effective. So I'll be right back. 
Uh, Steph, don't you have a button on your phone hmm. that you can press uh, as an alternative? Yes, but yes, it works reasonably well if you're just taking a photo of yourself, a selfie. When you're trying to do multiple people, I find my arm needs to be farther away and it's hard to get my finger out of the way of the screen or out of the camera to actually hit the button on the side. Which means I have to look at the button a little bit. Just to but look I am aware at the of where button. the camera... I am you can't aware put your finger on the, the button and then look at the camera. I could. Yeah, that, good. But I kind of like the effect of looking in <laughs> the wrong direction. <laughs> Gazing uh, meaningfully mm. into the distance. Yeah. That looks better, Jeff. It's, it's less threatening. You're not, <laughs> you're much sharper. Okay. okay. I should have done no? that before we All started right. the show. Um, I, you know, if I'd only referred to my checklist that doesn't exist, mm. I would have made sure that. My We're at the one hour mark. One. Okay. Okay. Um, there we go. So, um, and that's, let's see, anything else interesting happen on the trip? I don't think so. It was a great trip. Uh, the weather was, I mean, it was hot, but it was good weather. We didn't really, the only place that we ran into any convective activity was leaving uh, uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin on uh, Monday morning. And it wasn't really a, that big of a deal at all so uh and the rest of the trip um high pressure here in the southeast and uh you know it was nice so good there you go um steph how about you other than the well you've already covered with, yeah. like 90 percent of what i was going to talk about so oh, okay. that's fine well i well, uh, contributed it's okay do your 10 percent the other 10 percent is there was uh flying last weekend on saturday did some some skydiving all day i think all in all, between uh, we flew three different airplanes, not all at the same time. Um, that would have been did, impressive. Well, two of them at the same time, and then um, one by itself later in the day. I think the uh, we had the Twin Otter and the 182 going together, and then later in the day the uh, the caravan, and we flew a total of forty loads of skydivers. I think on Saturday. Wow. Yeah. Um, to be fair, the 182 just did hop and pop loads for. Um, uh, there's a, a lady there who just wanted to do hop and pops uh, for training purposes. Um, so that was what I did all day or all morning. Uh, excuse me. What's yes. a hop and pop? It's a low level jump. So we anywhere between 3,000 and 6,000 feet MSL. Okay. AGL. Is that cheaper uh, than doing a different uh, other kind? A little bit, actually. But in this particular case, the the lady who was doing the majority of those hop and pops um, trains for accuracy competitions, so she's not ah. really interested in doing all of the um, uh, free fall or um, um, what am I trying to think of free fall stuff? Mostly just under uh, canopy is, is all she's looking for. Gotcha. gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell tell, tell everybody about that little device that she has that she straps to the bottom of her. Boot? Oh, yeah. So for, for accuracy competitions, and I don't know all the details of how this works, but there's a uh, basically a inflatable lily pad looking thing that they land on. And in the center of it, there's a little square. And on the bottom of your shoe, there's another little square. And you have to match the squares up for accuracy. So it's very tiny very little squares, like, tiny squares, like one yeah. is on the heel of one shoe and the other one is in the center of that inflatable pad. Wow. Uh, how do they tell if you've come to rest there or if you're just... There, it's electronic. You're running. Just no, no, it's, like, it's it. electronic. It records where the, the um, 
the squares match up. Okay. Like I said, I don't know Very all good. the tech Must details. Must be a computer there, chip or something. Yeah, it's, that, it's, it's yeah. computerized. Yeah. Uh, cool. wow. So yeah, that was a busy day. And then Sunday we had very frustrating weather and didn't fly at all. Just low clouds and whatnot. Oh. But nice Time weather if you're... ground school. Yeah, or uh, instrument uh, flight training. Uh, good, good weather yeah, for that. Absolutely, yeah. right? not for not for instrument training so much. It was it was low. Oh, um, okay. Or record a uh, Patreon uh, crew log. There. You, oh that, yeah, that oh. would have been good. <laughs> okay. And uh, anything else? No, I, I spectated some uh, gear retrieval from trees from a cutaway that had happened on Saturday. That's always fun to watch. Oh, and that's another skydiving thing that you're talking about. Yes. Sorry, uh, this happened to Jeff on went on Monday as well. Armando and I got talking about skydiving stuff, and Jeff was like, I have no idea what we're talking about anymore. Jeff just um, had a drink. Yeah, if you that's have a, pretty rare, actually, isn't it, in the aviation world, to find something Jeff doesn't know. <laughs> no, it's not rare at all. <laughs> quite common, actually. But I was having fun drinking my beer and just drooling a little bit, listening to what they were talking about. And, uh, yeah. and drooling so because, not because it was exciting or I was an envious. It was just because, uh, you know, my brain is going. So, yeah, If you have a of malfunction of some type with your main canopy, um, usually if you, if you can't, if it's not something that can be easily or readily cleared, you're going to get rid of it by <clears throat> going through your emergency procedures. You pull your cutaway handle and then you pull your reserve handle. Um, so you have two parachutes in your rig and ideally that puts out your reserve parachute, which has been packed by a professional rigger. And You say ideally. Mm-hmm. What happens if it's not ideal? Get up in a tree. Well, you're going to end up somewhere. Somewhere. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. They don't bury uh, people. Unless you're going for a sky burial, you don't normally end up in a tree. Well, it's not oh, ideal to have both of them out at the same time or something like that. So um, oh. that can happen occasionally. That's a sky burial. malfunction. Nailed it. <laughs> but anyway, so you've, you've cut away this gear and it releases it from your, your rig and then it uh, lands where it lands. And usually you want to retrieve it because it's generally quite uh, pricey gear. Uh, ah. Yeah. And um, most I, I can't even think of a good case where it wouldn't really be able to be inspected and reused. Hmm. Gotcha. You just have to get it back, get it inspected, repacked, good to go. Parachute gal. But in this case, some of it was at the very top of a tree. <laughs> Liz is saying, "Parachute Gal podcast." That stuff's new, new show. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Extra. No, we're not going to get into AADs. That's more things that Jeff will be not knowing anything about. AAD. I, uh, or ADHD, boxes is asking, maybe. I boxes is asking about automated activation devices. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, Definitely. while you guys talk about that, we we're going to now hear. Unless Steph, there's anything else. Uh, that's all I got. Okay. Uh, Nick, what's up with you, man? Uh, let me think. I was trying to get a, uh, off the show at a reasonable hour last week, as I recall, because I had uh, an important bowls match, uh, which I played and won. So that's Yay! great. Got through to the, uh, thanks very much, the uh, West Surrey Area or Association Champion of Champions semifinals. Uh, which I play on now on the 4th of September. And then if I get through that big final on the 11th, 
Uh, um, other than that, not a lot going on. Um, meetup news. Uh, I've mentioned this already, but I'm going to mention it, as I said, every show. 25th of September, it's a Saturday. Um, uh, we're going to be at the Hangar Cafe on Fair Oaks Airport, which is just north of Woking, uh, between 8 a.m. and 2 p.m. 10 a.m. Uh, you don't have to email me or text me or, or see me on Twitter um, to ask if you can come along. Anyone can come along. Um, so relax on that accord. It's very informal. Uh, is that a cafe? So if you want to eat or drink, you can go and buy yourself some food. We're just going to sit around and talk aeroplanes and yada, 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 and uh, enjoy ourselves. Um, do, do, they have like, do they have breakfast uh, there, Nick? Because you said you were going to be there. They, you said you were going to be there at eight a.m. No, ten a.m. Okay, ten to two. If I said eight, <laughs> that was wrong. I apologize. <laughs> Uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., so okay. just a, like a four-hour period. But you don't have to be there the whole time. Just pitch up any time you want and leave any time you want. Uh, it's going to be very relaxed. Um, I know some of the guys from PTUK are going to be there. I'm going to have some recording equipment, so I'll be able to do a little segment for the show. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just going to be a bit of fun because we haven't had a meet-up for uh, quite a while now, and uh, I think we're all looking forward to that. This uh, reason I've chosen uh, Fair Oaks is because that's where I did my first powered solo. I used to work at the Fair Oaks School of Flying, my first aviation job, uh, cleaning toilets, washing airplanes, all that kind of stuff. So it has a bit of significance for me. I also saw my first aviation crash there. So I might actually, uh, I, I don't know, I'll have a word with Nev, see if he's got any uh, audio equipment that we can use to perhaps project a voice, although I'm pretty loud at the best of times. Uh, and, uh, you know, perhaps uh, do a bit of chit-chat. But uh, anyway, by the by, uh, it's going to be some fun on the 25th of September, a Saturday. And uh, an additional thanks tonight to uh, Neil Lanwan, who's uh, in the chat room. And uh, he uh, gave me a suggestion. He's a slacker. Did you know that? Oh, boy. Not one yeah, of those slackers. One right. of those. Exactly. He is a bit <laughs> of a slacker. Anyway, uh, it's through his suggestion that I uh, uh, got the idea uh, for tonight's tone, plain tale. So thank you very much, Neil, for pointing me at that uh, um, initial uh, bit of uh, information. And I hope you think I have done a reasonable job of your suggestions. So very kind of you. Always like a, a good story that I haven't heard before. And this was one of them. You lot may have heard it because it's American. You lot may have heard it ah, before. I'll take a nap but, then. Uh, <laughs> I, I have not heard that story, actually. I was kind of surprised. Okay, cool. That's very good. Excellent. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thanks, Neil. Uh, always appreciate a good uh, suggestion. Yes, it's very interesting. Look forward, looking forward to listening to it again soon. All right. Anything else, sir? Shall we move on? No, nope, that's it. All right. I'm done. Yes. Let's do Le Coffee Fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. 
Oh yeah. That's Jeff Smith singing the APG Java Jive, which is uh, the time of the show where we talk about these wonderful people, we love them so much, who help support the show financially. A couple different ways to do that. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method, and we have David Lieb and Gerald Thilburn, who used that mechanism to provide us with some coffee money. And the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And we have two new executive producers, and uh, that is Eugene Houston and Paul Wilson. So welcome aboard, uh, patrons. And uh, I'm going to read a little note that came with uh, Eugene's um well, notification that he is a patron of the show. He says, Captain Jeff, I'm not, not sure if you remember me, but I sent in feedback uh, how I got here. You played on episode 368 and a video of a traveling choir singing happy birthday to me on August, excuse me, episode 376. I'm a first officer for Southwest Airlines, hence his $7.37 per episode contribution. Oh, I love it. So I love that too. That's why I wanted to to read this 737 because he flies a 737 for southwest airlines he was planning on contributing when he caught up to the current episodes but with other podcasts and just general life i may never actually catch up other <laughs> said, podcasts oh yeah wait a minute what do you mean other podcasts oh how disappointing um i'm on episode 445 and the current as of and the current as of this message is 484 i may try to listen when you get closer to announce show 500 plans maybe i can attend hope this coffee fund contribution helps so yes it does very much so thank you eugene for that and again paul wilson our two new executive producers at patreon and if you want to join this amazing group of people please check out airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee there you'll find information on how you can join the coffee bar club or the coffee fund cadre or whatever the heck you want to call it and uh, you'll be glad you did and we will too so you've got just under 20 minutes till the plane tail captain incoming message okay let's head over to the uh, feedback uh the mailbag and uh this is, oh why is it not showing up here I'm looking at my note and there's like nothing. And are you guys seeing stuff in this note? Uh, number three, yes. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> it's not showing up in mine. Um, hmm. Although I must admit, um, when I tried to access this uh, piece on another device, it took forever to pop up. I don't know huh, why. I'm wondering but, uh, why it's having issues with it. Which one? Number three. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what are you trying to? Well, I just have the title well, of the note. It says feedback, oh. Carl, fatal balloon accident. Yeah, mine's, mine's here. And then uh, there's just a white blank page. <laughs> oh. so do you want me I to do it? I could read it. Okay. Uh, or oh, Nick can read Steph, it. Well, go ahead. Hang on, hang on. Before you do, uh, I need to play something. Uh, where did it go? Oh, that was one of those things I was supposed to do before we restarted no, recording the show. Have, you do have it in the note. Well, I have it in the note, but I don't see it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't think I don't. I'm not sure that it will play from the note. So here, let me. Uh, I can find it pretty quickly. Ta -da -da -da, just uh, kind of uh, entertain yourselves while Jeff looks this well, thing up. on the air. I don't think you want me to do that. Well, I mean, turn your <laughs> camera off. Of course. 
<laughs> and probably the microphone as well. I mean, I don't know how, oh, okay. how much you're going to get into that. Um, how boring is that? Uh, <laughs> here we go. Uh, I found what I was looking for, and we're going to put it right there. And now we're going to do this. Nice one. Well, wait a minute. Very abrupt. Very okay, smooth. Let me, let me Jeff. try that again. Would you like to ride in my beautiful balloon? All right. So we're playing that, of course, because this is something about balloons. And now one of the co-hosts—I forget which one—is going to do it—is going to read this article of feedback. Okay. Well, I'm going to read what it says here from Carl. It says, hello, I've attached the preliminary NTSB report about a recent fatal balloon accident. The pilot was a larger than life figure in the aviation community and especially within experimental ballooning. If you want to add any background about the pilot, this obit does a good job capturing some of his legacy. And then there's a link for that. Specifically, there's a bit about a guy who wanted to set the world record for knee bends in a creative way, but couldn't get the flight attendants to let him do it on a plane. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, you gotta have to re- you have to read his obituary obituary <laughs> to kind of understand the context of what Carl's talking about. Sure, uh, Nick, did you read through this preliminary yes, report? I, yes, I did. Do you it, are you able to tra- summarize? Yeah, it is. It is a very tragic story. And for all the fun I make of uh, (laughs) lunatics, um, you know, you never want this to happen to anybody. So um, he was flying with um, a few passengers. I think he had four passengers uh, and himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, He the the balloon uh, itself, he'd made himself. It was an experimental one. It wasn't one he bought off the shelf. Um, so he was flying along and, uh, the balloon had been aloft for about 45 minutes and, uh, he, uh, told his passengers that, uh, the pilot light, which is just the same as the one you've got on your cooker, uh, for the burner, um, had gone out. Um, so he changed the propane bottles. Um, uh, of course the reason he wanted to light his propane cause he needed a bit more hot air and he was descending. Um, so he changed the bottles, but he couldn't locate the striker to relight the burner with the new bottle fitted. Um, and he hunted around the balloon trying to find this striker. Uh, and eventually he gave up and found the backup striker he had in a supply pocket. But the balloon had got a bit of a rate of descent on it by then. And although he managed to light the um, burner... Uh, and obviously start warming the balloon up. It was not early enough. It, it was too late to prevent the balloon from hitting the ground. So they clobbered the ground uh, in a field, which was kind of a bit of luck. Um, uh, the pilot and uh, one of the passengers were in the violence of the strike on the ground were thrown out of the basket, um, which would have been very nasty for the remaining passengers because... 
you know, the pilot is the only bloke that really knows how to fly the balloon. Now it turns out um, it, re- it <laughs> kind of turned out that's what actually happened. But I'm yeah, gonna let you exactly. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, the uh, the pilot, having been thrown out, actually got his foot uh, tangled in rope that was uh, attached to the basket frame, um, and uh, he got dragged up. Uh, and although he managed eventually to untangle his foot, he remained hanging below the basket for about a well just over a mile a mile and a quarter um before very sadly he fell um into a field near the connecticut river um and died of his injuries uh the remaining passengers and bearing in mind that uh, you know two people have now gone out of the balloon they've removed half the passenger weight the balloon's going to want to go up um they managed to contact the ground personnel via their radio, who did a great job in uh, helping them to control the balloon and bring it back down again. Um, and it, by the time they brought it down, it had gone about three and a half miles uh, before it impacted trees and then landed in a wooded area. Um, but very nicely, or very happily, there was uh, only one minor injury and three uh, of the passengers were completely uninjured. But very sadly, this uh, quite remarkable uh, balloon pilot uh, had died. Um, and, and one of the things you can say about him is he was a true character. Um, and uh, his obituary, uh, I, th- I thought, was a, a great read. Um, so, yeah, he, he was a very... A, much, a larger than life person, I think. I think that probably applies to a lot of balloon yeah. pilots. Yeah. Well, not only was he larger than life in in his personality uh, and presence, but also his physical presence. I think he was like six foot five, or so. he was a big man. Absolutely, um, yeah. And uh, but I got a I got a feel from that obit that uh, he was quite an oddball. Yeah, um, yeah. And, he was a uh, one off, I think. But I have questions. Mm. Um, So I'm looking at the second page of this uh, report, the uh, NTSB report, where it – I'm sorry, Liz? You got the note back. Good. Yes, I did. I I quit Evernote and restarted it, and now everything is there. Uh, The uh, second page of the NTSB report talks about the aircraft and owner-operator information. And uh, operating certificates held? None. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking – Oh, now the loud vehicles are <laughs> yay! Uh, uh, no, that that that's your fridge, Jeff. So no, that's not a fridge. That's a <laughs> that's a big truck. Anyway, um, so I'm thinking. Well, I now wait a minute. He's operating this balloon. I, I'm pretty sure to operate a hot air balloon, you have to have some kind of certificate or license or whatever. Especially, it sounds to me like he had these passengers. I don't know. It didn't specifically say that they were paying passengers. No. But I but got if they that. were, then there's several problems there. Yeah, exactly. And then you'd have to have some kind of a commercial license <laughs> and certificate. And fly passengers for hire in an experimental oh, aircraft. I didn't know that part you of it. You can take passengers, angle. just not for compensation. Okay. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to do a little bit of research. So, I, I searched the, uh, the book of knowledge, the uh, internet. And I found an article about how to become a licensed hot air balloon pilot in the United States. Again, sorry for the uh, the beer truck, Liz says. (laughs) Over here! (laughs) 
Okay, they didn't see me. It's, it's not actually that much of a problem for us. Probably okay, worse good. for you. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad it's not a not a big issue. So um, there are three different kinds of hot air balloon licenses offered by the FAA. Each one has different requirements and allows you to do different things with a hot air balloon. Uh, let's see. The first one, of course, is the student license. And to obtain a student license, there isn't really much you have to do. Uh, the requirements include you, you have must to be, be 14. You have to be 14. Yeah, you must you speak, write, and understand English, and indicate that indicate that you do not have any medical conditions that would disqualify you from flying. That's pretty much it. And you fill out an application, and then you submit it somewhere, and then they you know, you're good to go. You're a student pilot. Um, the private license is once you have the student license, you're ready to start working towards a private license. And the requirements for this, you must be at least 16 years old, complete 10 hours of flight training, complete six flights under the supervision of a certified flight instructor on a private area of operation, take two flights lasting at least an hour within 60 days of certification, make a controlled ascent to 2,000 feet above the takeoff point, complete one solo flight, pass the FAA knowledge test, which is a written test, and pass the practical knowledge test, which is an oral examination and flight. And so it looks like the getting a private balloon license is uh, is much more difficult than the student license, and it requires a lot of time and money, mainly a lot of time because the balloons don't move very fast. No, that has nothing to do with it. Actually, actually it is one interesting point, though, because mm-hmm. you could conduct a flight uh, on a private area of operation, uh, six flights. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going, wow, you need to know someone with a lot of land. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because doing a, an entire flight uh, within someone's backyard isn't really going to do it, is it? Or a single field. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that myself. And that I'm glad you pointed that out. That is a, a difficult requirement, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, if you want to, you know, charge passengers for – taking a ride in your hot air balloon, then you have to get a commercial license. And then there's even more requirements uh, that you have to perform to to get that. No instrument rating, I note. No? No. No. Huh, that's interesting. I mean, (laughs) yes. I don't think they have instruments. Um, I was just about to say, Jeff. (laughs) Only pilots need instruments. Yeah. I just I found an interesting article here. I was looking for something specific to experimental aircraft, um, and uh, apparently this goes back a ways. Um, this article is from 2005, and it um, there were some rules that changed when the sport pilot um, certificate came into existence. Mm-hmm. But previous to that, apparently, um, pilots could carry passengers in certain experimental aircraft regardless of whether they held the appropriate category and class ratings. So, for example, hmm. you could hold a private pilot certificate with an airplane single-engine land category in class and go out and fly a passenger in an experimental helicopter with no training required. The FAA cited an increased number of accidents attributed to a lack of category and class ratings as the reason for the change, <laughs> huh. which took effect on September 1st, 2004. Interesting. Yeah, very recently. <laughs> I wow. had no idea that was a thing. <laughs> wow. Um, what anyway. fun that would be. You right? could just... Yeah, it's experimental. Just go for it. It's fine. Yeah. No training yeah. required. Well. Amazing. And uh, no I guess... Word. Oh. Bye, Steph. Steph, you must have swiped. <laughs> <laughs> Steph swiped uh, right, we, we, obviously. Yeah. Just, yeah. 
what? Says, okay, uh, Dale Williams in the live audience says, how do you simulate an engine failure in a hot air balloon? You let the propane run out. Ludger says, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is. Needle? Oh, Ludger says needle. Uh, Dale says pellet gun and duct tape. Uh, very cute. Oh, they're all coming out now, aren't they? Yeah, the comedians. It's the amateur Everyone's, comedian hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Oh, that was five another minute, five minutes. That was the other thing I was going to mention, and when I was reading the accident report, um, I'm thinking, you know, apparently he didn't do a lot of, you know, good pre-planning here, and didn't realize. I don't. Doesn't seem that he realized that that propane bottle that he was running on to begin with was kind of low on propane, and uh, perhaps if they had started the journey with the full bottle of propane that. This might have had a better outcome. Yeah, he well, probably didn't want to waste any. He died any, doing something you know. he loved. I'll, I'll use this one till it runs out, and then I'll use the other yeah. one. Oh dear, uh, I've pilot. lost. I've, I've lost the striker. <laughs> Talking of yeah. striker, wasn't mm-hmm. he a character in a movie? He was. Oh, yeah, there you go so. again, Nick. Ah, uh, well teasing the PT. <laughs> you know what? I think. I think it might yeah, be a good go. time right now to uh, do this week's installment Ooh. of the old pilot's plane tales. Before it gets banned on YouTube. Yes. Well, it, that's going to happen for sure. And, <laughs> and if you're listening live, you'll understand why. If you're watching the video after the fact, you may not see any of this. <laughs> so just warning you. Uh, all right. Here we go. Take it away, old pilot. You curmudgeon you. Old Pilots Plain Tales Airtists We all have our favourite flying movies, whether it's a black and white classic with biplanes wheeling around the sky flown by actual World War I flying aces, comedy cult movies from which we can quote our favourite lines, surely you don't mean that, or modern thrillers which employ state-of-the-art computer-generated imagery to bring unlikely stunts to life in glorious technicolor. Whether it was John Wayne slapping his captain across the face in The High and the Mighty, Notice I said in a few more minutes. I've already waited too long. Here we go. No, we don't. Get a hold of yourself, you yellow. Or the amazing flying scenes in The Blue Max. The Blue Max is more than a medal to you. It's a badge. Something to show. Not as good as Willie. Not just Willie. Many great lines have come out of flying movies. The clipped English of the Battle of Britain. A blue stop on him! Spit fire! Help yourself, everybody. There's no fighter escort. And, of course, that love-to-hate film, Top Gun. Losing control, losing control. I can't, I can't control it. It's going to recover. Oh, shit. It's coming up, man. Losing control. This is not good. This is not good. Mayday, mayday. Babs in trouble. He's in a flat spin. He's heading out to sea. Some were less factual and more tongue-in-cheek, but have nevertheless left lasting memories. Joey, have you ever been in a in a Turkish prison? 
You'd better tell the captain. We've got to land as soon as we can. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Captain, how soon can you land? I can't tell. You can tell me I'm a doctor. Oh, my God! The automatic pilot! It's deflating! I know, but this guy doing the flying has no airline experience at all. He's a menace to himself and everything else in the air. Yes, birds, too. I won't deceive you, Mr. Stryker. We're running out of time. Surely there must be something you can do. I'm doing everything I can. Now stop calling me Shirley. The actors that featured in such famous films helped to make all pilots look a bit more handsome, or most anyway, and we walked a little taller. Clark Gable, Cary Grant, David Niven, John Wayne, Charlton Heston, Gregory Peck, Humphrey Bogart, Robert Taylor, Jimmy Stewart, Steve McQueen, James Earl Jones, George Peppard, Michael Caine, Dean Martin, Robert Redford, Tom Cruise, Mel Gibson, Will Smith, Leonardo DiCaprio, Sean Bean, Hilary Swank, Denzel Washington, they're just a few names to conjure with. Both their names and voices are instantly recognisable, and for many of us, bring back many memories. I hate a man like you so much that I'm going to get your head down in the mud and trample it. I'm going to make you wish you'd never been born. If that's all, sir. I'm just getting started. You're going to stay right here and get a belly full of flying. You're going to make every mission. You're not air exec anymore. You're just an airplane commander. And I want you to paint this name on the nose of your ship. Leper Colony. Because in it, you're going to get every dead beat in the outfit. Every man with a penchant for head colds. If there's a bombardier who can't hit his plate with his fork, you get him. If there's a navigator who can't find the men's room, you get him, because you rate him. Well, here we go. Let's see if you can land one of these things by the seat of your pants. We're going to crash. We're going to be killed. I know we're all going to be... <laughs> Roger, Lincoln, you've just freed the slaves again. Request PAR approach. You might fly these things, but I take them apart and put them back together again. If you had any guts, we'd be on the runway by now. You felt it vibrating? Another ten seconds, we'd have had structural damage. Who do you think you're talking to? Some kid that fixes bicycles? I know every inch of the 707. Take the wings off this and you could use it as a tank. This plane is built to withstand anything except a bad pilot. Okay, you do it the hard way, but you better get this thing out of here, because I'm not taking off on 2-2. You'll use what's available. Well, if it's 2-2, I'm not using noise abatement, and I'm not cutting back on power over those houses. So unless you want a big, fat bill for cracked plaster and broken dishes, you better move this thing. Keep digging. Another pilot comes up with an idea like that, hand him a shovel. There is one name which isn't on that list, but I'm going to talk about him anyway. Not about his roles as a movie pilot, some of which were instantly forgettable, and not about his other roles as a cult hero of the screen in a score of classic films, but about his remarkable brush with aviation as a very young man. He was born in San Francisco back in 1930, and immediately was nicknamed Samson, by the nurses who delivered him, as he weighed in at 11 pounds and 6 ounces. That's 5.2 kilos. 
He carried a mixed ancestry of English, Irish, Scottish and Dutch origins and could trace his line back at least 12 generations to the Mayflower passenger, William Bradford. He wasn't a natural scholar, had to attend summer school to catch up on his studies and his activities brought little praise and much disapproval. In 1945, he attended Piedmont High School for a while, but was asked to leave for writing an obscene suggestion on the athletic field scoreboard, which left one particular school official in no doubt as to his opinion of him. On top of other infractions, he also burned an effigy on the school lawn. His despairing parents found him a place at Oakland Technical High School, where he made better progress towards graduation. An old school friend joked that he thought Sampson, as I shall call him for now, graduated from the airplane shop. I think that was his major. Other friends recall that he didn't spend much time at school and was usually found having fun elsewhere. After he gave up full-time education, he drifted through a number of different jobs, including paper carrier, grocery clerk, forest firefighter, truck driver, golf caddy and lifeguard. He tried to get into Seattle University, but instead he was drafted into the United States Army during the Korean War. Samson wanted to get into combat, but instead found himself working as the lifeguard to the base pool at Fort Ord in California. He'd been sent there for his basic training, but when his superiors looked at his past experience, they thought him better suited to becoming a swimming instructor, and he remained at the base. At nights and on weekends, he also worked in the NCO club, apparently as a bouncer, a job not normally required on a military base, fully equipped with military police. Eventually, he got a little time off and was able to jump onto a military transport bound for Seattle, a common practice at the time, to spend a weekend with his parents and girlfriend. When it came time to return... Samson donned his uniform again, a requirement if he wanted to grab a ride back to Fort Ord, and headed to the military airfield. He looked around for an aircraft that he could climb into, but there was nothing going the right way, nothing at all, except a pair of Douglas AD-1Q Sky Raiders, better known by those who flew them as SPADs. Our young lifesaver friend was desperate to get back to his base before his weekend pass ran out, and he was posted as AWOL, absent without leave, a serious offence in time of war, but not particularly worrying for a swimming instructor. Regardless, Samson was keen not to get a black mark. He got chatting to the SPAD pilots, Richmond and his wingman, Anderson, and discovered quite by chance that the version of Sky Raider beside them had room for a second crew member. The two AD-1Qs were two-seat electronic countermeasure versions of the AD-1, a pair from only 35 of this version that were built. Since the two pilots had flown up to Seattle without their rear-seat crew members, they had room for a passenger. 
As an aside, although the Sky Raider was a single-engine piston fighter, it was a big aircraft and there were three-seaters built for roles such as radar-equipped airborne early warning and the night-attack roles and even four-seat versions for night-attack and radar countermeasures. Their concern, however, was that the Sky Raider wasn't really a passenger-carrying aircraft and it would probably be against their regulations if they took an extra body with them. Samson pleaded with them to take him on board. He had no alternative, and didn't want to get into trouble by getting back late. Anderson finally took pity on him, and they said that if he rode in the back and stayed quiet, he could fly with them, showing him the small door that opened into the dark, narrow interior of the fuselage, packed with electronic equipment and with just one small seat for him to perch on. With the door closed, there was a small oval window to look out on. Without a flying helmet, when the Spad's mighty 18-cylinder right cyclone engine fired up, it would have been deafening, but I don't doubt that our intrepid soldier was mightily pleased to be heading back to Fort Ord before his pass ran out. Richmond and Anderson taxied their aircraft out, and soon the Navy Sky Raiders got airborne. Heading out in trail, Junior Lieutenant Anderson was a little confused as the controller cancelled Richmond's flight plan and informed the formation that they were flying on Anderson's plan. Regardless, they were cleared to fly 500 feet on top of the cloud. They climbed up through the scattered cumulus and joined up in formation, progressing towards the Amber One airway. As they approached Toledo, Anderson, with his passengers sitting in the cramped equipment area, lost radio communications. He passed the lead on to Richmond, who made the voice reports to Toledo. Then bad went to worse, as north of Eugene they were faced with towering clouds that they couldn't avoid, and entering them, Anderson lost sight of the other aircraft. On his own now, and without radio communications, Anderson proceeded south along the coast in an attempt, by dead reckoning, to rejoin the route Amber 1. In the back, without oxygen equipment, our intrepid soldier was feeling decidedly dizzy. The Sky Raiders had been cruising fairly high, and supplemental oxygen was needed to stay alive, but luckily, as he started to fall unconscious, Anderson was forced to descend as his own supply became exhausted. Now at 14,000 feet there was just enough air pressure to survive whilst his pilot did his best to return to the route he was supposed to be on. The details of the flight from this point have become lost in time, but for reasons not clearly identified, Anderson began to lose his engine. It's possible that a miscalculation of his fuel load led him to run out of gas, or he might have suffered an engine failure, but what is obvious is that the huge right cyclone lost its will to live and gave out, and the aircraft began to descend towards the ocean below. The weather had become poor with stormy conditions, and the outcome far from shore as the spad glided down into the heavy seas and strong winds. 
I feel for Junior Lieutenant Anderson, as after suffering a loss of radio, oxygen, and now fuel, he'd been put into a terrible situation, but not nearly as bad as his unexpected passenger. In the back of this unfamiliar aircraft, Sampson must have been wondering what on earth was going on. He had no communication with the pilot, and all had gone quiet. All he could see through his tiny porthole was the inside of dark clouds, and in breaks between patches of cloud and fog, the fast-approaching surface of an angry sea. The landing was as violent as you would expect as the Sky Raider ploughed into the waves of the Pacific Ocean and came to a halt. Our soldier fought to open the hatch that he had used to climb into his compartment, but the pressure of water outside was too great to overcome. The sea poured into the aircraft, filling up the airspace, until his head was under the surface, and drowning became a likely outcome, when the pressure on the door lessened and he was able to force it open, coming to the surface spluttering and gasping for breath. He swam around to the front of the aircraft and found Anderson pulling a pair of one-man survival dinghies out of the cockpit. He pulled the toggles to inflate them and the two survivors clambered in. As they floated away, they watched the spad sink below the surface until nothing could be seen. It was getting dark and, along with a worsening sea state, fog was rolling in. Anderson had said that he thought they were only a few miles off the coast, but with a failed radio he hadn't been able to put out a distress call. They couldn't see the stars nor any sign of land, and then a big wave pitched Samson out of his dinghy into the rough water. The wind began to blow his small craft out of reach, and despite being a strong swimmer he couldn't catch hold of it. Before long, he realised he was alone in the dark, surrounded by fog. He called out to the pilot, but there was no reply. They had become separated. With little alternative, he picked a direction and started swimming through the rough water. He was getting tired and cold, but he kept going for what seemed like hours. Little did he know it, but he had company. In the depths of the water below him off Point Rees, sharks spread and attacks were common. With his strength failing and despair hovering over him, things were looking pretty bad until, from out of the gloom and mist, a light appeared, a single point. His spirit soared and he struck out towards it, but it was a mile or more away, and when eventually he began to hear waves crashing onto the shore and feel sand beneath him, he could do little more than crawl onto the beach and lie there, exhausted and freezing cold. On the coast was the RCA radio receiving station, Kilo Papa Hotel. It was a remote spot for the men who maintained the facility, so to hear someone banging on their door in the night was a rare event. When they opened up, they found a bedraggled soldier, so cold and wet and exhausted that he couldn't speak. They dragged him in, wrapped him in a blanket and warmed a drink for him, 
although he shook so much he could barely hold it. When an ambulance arrived, they took him to the nearby Coast Guard station to reunite him with Anderson, his pilot, who had come ashore a mile or two along the coast. They had both survived. A few years later, when back at Fort Orr, our soldier was spotted by the director of a rawhide episode that was shooting at the base, and with his encouragement, the young man eventually forged a career in the movies. Being a great fan of spaghetti westerns, I, for one, am very grateful that he survived his ordeal, as without the talents of Clint Eastwood, a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, and the good, the bad, and the ugly would never have made it, let alone Kelly's Heroes, the Dirty Harry's series, and many more. He went on to become a fine director, and would eventually use his talents to bring the story of the miracle on the Hudson, another aircraft that splashed down to our screens. Wow. I had no idea when I listened to this earlier today that uh, that was Clint Eastwood that you were referring to. I thought the music might have given it away. Well, I'm not that sharp. (laughs) Me neither. Because I didn't know the story either. Neither did I until uh, Neil uh, pointed it out to me. And uh, once I heard it, uh, because it was given by another um, YouTuber. Uh, who obviously wasn't an aviator <laughs> because there was an awful lot of bullshit in there. But uh, don't don't uh, take that uh, as a, a necessarily as a big criticism. Uh, no, it was just a great story, and uh, mm-hmm. I had no idea that Eastwood was uh, um, in that crash, uh, and what a remarkable story it was too. I I, I just loved it when I. Uh, uh, discovered it. Uh, I wish I had been the one to find it initially, but uh, no, I loved it. And uh, you know, the fact that he used some of his um, memories from that uh, exploit to colour his uh, rendering of um, the Miracle on the Hudson and the way he wanted it filmed, uh, I think turned that movie into a, a great movie that we'll all remember because. It could have been deadly boring, um, you know, or overly dramatic. It could have been lots of things. But I actually thought that uh, Eastwood, uh, Clint Eastwood, hit exactly the right note with that movie. I thought it was very good. Yeah, he was a great actor and uh, even better director, uh, I believe. Absolutely. Um, And I loved him as an actor, don't get me wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. He he, uh, was just that I think he was in the movie Firefox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was a pretty dreadful. <laughs> I don't think I saw that. <laughs> Definitely didn't no, see that one. Good. Don't. Don't. Okay. Don't. I will don't remove it from the list of movies I was going to watch in the near future. <laughs> there you Tonight. Go. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Tonight. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, by the way, following yeah. the uh, podcast. Yeah. Someone in the chat room wanted uh, a picture of Wayne a Johnston. Person. Yes. There you go. And I, that's Against, specifically why uh, I got this uh, picture up. Uh, while well done. I, yeah, I saw that uh, in the in the live audience, and yeah, the reference to how big this Douglas Sky Raider is, and that that is a mm-hmm. beast. I think I Hall Boxes said that that thing is a beast, and it sh- certainly is. 
Absolutely. I mean, we're talking the pinnacle, really, of World War II-style piston-powered aircraft before the jet age. Uh, I mean, that's that's probably one of the biggest I know, other than perhaps the Gannett. And then we get on to turbo jets and things like that. But uh, I thought it was uh, a fabulous airplane. And the fact that it performs such a vital role in Vietnam... Uh, I mean, a really important role for the United States Air Force, uh, etc. Um, I thought was brilliant. It 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 flew well beyond its uh, effective lifetime, uh, but still continued to do a brilliant job. Anyway, yeah. And then, uh, as as uh, Neil is mentioning, I just love the idea of hitching a ride in the back of a Sky Raider, um, truly from another time. And that, you know. Uh, even I guess during this time, uh, the it seems the way you told the story that the the pilots were a little hesitant to uh, give uh, Clint a or Samson a ride in the uh, in the airplane, you know. <laughs> it, because- yeah, I, I'm I, I I gleaned a lot of information from sources which I'm not sure really mm-hmm. knew exactly what went on, right? Because there's no definitive. Oh, the only little piece of uh, information about the accident is very curt. There's mm. there's no detail at all. So I think everyone just kind of uh, uses a little bit of imagination. So this was entirely made up. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, one thing I can um, confirm you know, that he was in the crash, <laughs> and that Anderson was the pilot. I could definitely <laughs> confirm that. Well, I, that I mean, that makes sense to me. Anderson pilot uh, crash, yeah, they lots, all go together. Lo- lots of <laughs> all, lots of Anderson crashes out there. Yeah, you want to watch out for those pilots. You find We're all yourself safe being now, flown by Captain Anderson. Well, ooh. Uh, just thank the Lord I'm not a balloon pilot. Uh. <laughs> I think that you should look into doing that, though. That would be fun. I think that, that would be, be a good retirement. <laughs> that would be ultimate uh, irony. For you. Uh, it would actually, yes, but I don't think my back would stand up to my landings. Oh, you could like fix up a nice chair that has like shock absorbers on it. Um, yeah. Oh I yeah, could. put like a. I don't know. What you mean, like on those American buses? Buses. Where the yeah, only yeah. Person exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Is the driver and he's yeah you're right Steph he's going up and down like he's on a jackhammer and everyone else is having their spine compressed. Someone who drives one of those buses with the those seats with the lots like very springy mm-hmm. uh, base mm-hmm. to it. Please explain to me how you prevent your foot from like being very jerky on the gas or the brake pedal while that's happening. Oh, they I don't. Like a, I oh, okay. I discovered that they are very jerky on the controls, mm. but perhaps that's just me being overly critical. I can't imagine why. So I think we have. I'm going through uh, puberty, puberty again. I think. Uh, I think <laughs> that uh, we have time for one more piece of feedback in part one here uh, before we end this. And um, I think I'm hoping Henry. Oh, looks like Henry's still with us yeah, still in here. the chat yeah. room. So I think we're going to switch over to what number is that, uh, Liz? Twelve. Okay. Twelve. Okay. Item number twelve. And uh, it is a video feedback from Henry. Um, and uh, he explains everything in this video. So I'm going to go over here. Is that and, not Henry? Well, he kind of mentions about uh, something about that in this video. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, I think I was, I was calling him Henry. And uh, apparently he goes by Henry. So let's see here. Got to find the folder and the video, and 
here we go. There we go. Hey, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Rick, Captain Steph, and Overlord Liz. A little uh, <laughs> feedback coming to you from the Goodspeed Airport in Goodspeed, uh, Connecticut, down in actually East Haddam, Connecticut. They're having the Young American Pilots Association. I'm sure I messed that up, so I'll make sure I, <laughs> I give you the information so you can fix it in post. They're having a fly-in, and these are young pilots. Uh, and I interviewed one for the show and sending a little feedback. So this one's coming to you from Henri, before Storm Henri. Oh, cool. A little bit of video here. Of Are the, they uh, cubs? Some cubs. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, it's Henry Lanuet, or as Captain Jeff likes to call me, Henri. And I'm based in Longmeadow, Massachusetts. Kind of Henri. End of runway 24. And I am at an event here at the Goodspeed Airport in East Haddam, Connecticut, on the weekend of, what's, what's today? August 21st. August 21st. And this is the young... Pilots? Young Pilots USA, good speed flying. That's all right. Yeah. So they need to tell the people that are in the background to stop talking because that's all I can hear. <laughs> so keep it down to dull roar back yeah. there. Okay, yeah. here we go. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what this event is about? For sure, yeah. So my name is Luke Zipkin, uh, and I'm the uh, founder and president of an organization called Young Pilots USA uh, that is working to build uh, a greater community of young people in aviation. And this is Good Speed Flying, which is really our first um, large or you know bigger organized event uh, where we're inviting people from the local community, other people flying in, um, and young people from all over the place to come in and learn more about aviation, see uh, a really unique airport right on the Connecticut River, airport and seaplane base and um, just have a good time with airplanes. He's landing now. Exactly. So, so uh, uh, how old are you? I'm 16 years old. Um, when are you going to fly? Well, I fly right now. I uh, I'm fly a Piper J3 Cub um, and uh, I'm on a student pilot's license, so just solo right now and then uh, as soon as I'm old enough, I'll go do my private. And did I hear you took a long distance trip someplace? I did, yeah. So this earlier this summer, I flew uh, my family's J3 Cub uh, from right here at Goodspeed to uh, Flaybob Airport, Riverside, California. Uh, it took a while, um, but I'd do it again. You know, it was a really, really uh, an incredible experience. Um, it was, you know, possible because of the support of some some really generous and uh, helpful people. And uh, through that, I was able to, you know, raise a little bit of awareness about young people in aviation, uh, as well as, uh, you know, raise some money for uh, some causes that me and, uh, and my organization care about. And how exciting. So what's your ultimate goal? Do you see yourself being a commercial pilot someday? Someday, maybe. Yeah. I don't know yet. Um, you know, right now, honestly, I'm trying to focus on the fly-in. Um, but I took him uh, away from his job, everyone. No, it's, uh, you know, down the road, uh, I anything with wings. You know, I love love flying and just uh, any opportunity to get involved. Now, my name is my name is Henri, and we happen to have Storm Henri bearing down on us. So, uh, do you have any special uh, precautions in place? Uh, unfortunately, it looks like we're going to have to get closed up here by about six o'clock tonight. Most of the airplanes that are flying in from elsewhere are going to be leaving, uh, but we're very happy that the weather's holding for as long as it is, so that we can bring some people out, bring some airplanes out, and uh, show them out, show them around. Very exciting. So, I, I hear there will be some uh, flight school. Uh, what do they call the trial flights? Or? Intro flights. Yeah. Intro flights, and we've got a warbird down there. We're going to go take a look at. So, if anybody's out, it's a great place to come. And uh, thank you so much. Come on down to the Goodspeed Flying. Yeah, right. thank you. Great talking with you. All right, our 
on-location reporter, Henry, at the Goodspeed Flying uh, Club. was uh, brilliant. Isn't that great? I love that. Uh, absolutely yeah. fabulous. Uh, uh, I, I'm very impressed with uh, Andre's uh, interviewing skills. Uh, it, very good. Uh, but uh, that youngster, mm-hmm. 16, uh, super cub, mm-hmm. um, doing flights like that and, um, you know, obviously got his head screwed on and also uh, in his spare time uh, organising this community of young flyers. So we're all so, you know, keen about aviation community and uh, getting together and talking aeroplanes and promoting aviation uh this young lad is doing a brilliant job all on his own so i think that's fantastic yeah and getting you know we we want um folks of all ages to get involved of course but really important to um just let others know that are perhaps thinking about what they want to do in the future when they grow up who are high school or early college age that these are opportunities that are available to them so that's that's nice it's so nice as someone said in the chat room to hear someone at the age of 16, uh, you know, a relatively young age, who, who is all already uh, established. He knows what he wants to do. He wants to be uh, a pilot. Uh, he's not sure what capacity, but uh, that's great. I mean, the fact is that he, he will have a great career in aviation, I'm sure, and uh, I, you know, wish him well in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the screen there is his LinkedIn profile, Luke Zipkin, uh, the third, and he's uh, president. Luke, pull up, mate. Pull up. <laughs> Roll right. Pull up. Yeah, the the picture in the background <laughs> of his uh, <laughs> his, uh, his uh, profile here is showing a attitude indicator and a uh, not a good. It's an unusual attitude. It's an unusual say. attitude That's for sure. Absolutely, and I can't see his ASI reading even. So, yeah. not a good situation. Yeah, and uh, not very high up off the ground Straight either. Oh, my God, he's at, a, he's at 850 feet. <laughs> anyway. Well, if he survives that, then I wish him a fine career. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, Henri, uh, for uh, sending that in and, and doing that video. That was awesome. Uh, you know, I love hearing audio feedback, or we love hearing audio feedback, but when people send in video, especially an interview like that, that's just uh, top-notch. So uh, we Absolutely. really enjoyed that. Yeah. And, yeah, with that, I think it's uh, we've come to the end of our segment one of episode 486. Six. And uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, cut it off from here and then oh hope- no don't well no don't. Well, i'm not gonna cut cut it off. okay yeah. cut it off. <laughs> protect yourself nick yes yes oh, guard, guard yourself i'm gonna cut it off <laughs> <laughs> you don't need it anymore um and uh yeah uh, okay i'm not gonna say that um so Good. the next the Moving next uh, voices uh, that you're gonna hear uh, you'll probably hear my voice and miami rick and uh so stay tuned Ooh. for that yeah. Who? You know. Well, tell him we say hi and we miss him. Okay. Well, he just hasn't heard you he say been, that. Uh, <laughs> hasn't he been absent without leave? Yeah. Yeah, he is. But uh, he has he has a good excuse. So, mm-hmm. all right. Which, with that, okay. we'll talk about it. So, Fair hey, enough. thank you, Nick and Steph and Liz. Of course, Liz will be with us on Saturday evening when we uh, do part two. But thank you for showing up for part one and uh, hope you have a great rest of your week and weekend. And... Uh, We'll say goodbye. Bye.
Thanks so much. See you next week. And by the magic of podcasting, we have with us from his home studio in the Valley of the Sun, world traveler, airplane mechanic, Breitling Cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain, it's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. Been a minute, but happy to be back. Uh, have a lot of good stuff, cool stuff to talk about. Looking forward to it. So strap-in's going to be a good one. Sweet. All right. Do we need to do the news sounder again? Nah. That'll just waste time. Nah. Just pretend you just heard the news sounder. And uh, let's do uh, the news first, and then we're going to break for getting to know Rick, and then we'll uh, hit some uh, feedback, some extra feedback. So going all the way down to 1E. Um, news, serious incident, uh, an Airbus A330-343, uh, Bravo Lima, go. November that, that was, Sierra. That, that was the problem right there. Uh, Next. <laughs> well, okay. Well, let's see. Uh, we don't have any more <laughs> items in the news. Why don't we go into a little bit more detail in this one? Uh, okay, let, let's. Um, it was a uh, Hong Kong Airlines, uh, 236, the flight number, uh, 174 passengers and 13 crew aboarded their takeoff roll uh, at Hong Kong Chek Lapcock <laughs> International Airport. I'm sure that was not right. What? How do you say that? No, that that's exactly oh, it. That and is. the thing is that when you fly in there, it always makes you chuckle. So <laughs> if you chuckle, you know you said it right. Okay, uh, good. You're, you're uh, good. That uh, Hong Kong Chek Lapcock. <laughs> I'm just thinking of all these things are in, just flooding my my head right now. I, and I okay, snap. You should out see of the it. airport diagram. Yeah, to- <laughs> Focus, Jeff. Focus. I'm focusing. Thank you, Liz. Yeah. International airport in a runway incursion incident involving a Boeing 747. Now, Uh-oh. Nick had really hoped that we would cover this uh, and that you would be on. And then I'm Some sure he banter was, would ensue. Oh, the banter would. Uh, yes. Uh, incredible yeah. banter would ensue, I'm sure. Um, a Boeing 747-400 freighter, I think Nick emphasized that when we were talking about this, uh, registered uh, Oscar Mike Alpha Charlie Bravo operated by Air Cargo Global. That almost sounds like a make, made-up name like Acme Giant. <laughs> now, Air Cargo Global as flight uh, 831. They landed on 7 left at Lapcock Airport following a flight from Turk- Turkmenbashi. Uh, the aircraft taxied to the cargo apron on the south of the airfield. This necessitated crossing 7 right, which was being used for departures. Uh, flight 236, the Airbus was cleared for takeoff by the tower controller. And at 8.54 local time, the aircraft began rolling for takeoff. At the same time, flight... Oh, shoot. My refrigerator is making a bunch of noise all of a sudden. So can't, can't I'm going to... Okay. Really? No. You can't hear that? Okay, can you hear that? Yeah. yeah. No. Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna unplug it uh, just because it's gonna bug me, and then I'll start that paragraph over. Hang on. Right. I'm picky. I don't blame you. Ah. Oh, well, I don't like to keep myself. There we go. There we go. Much better. Okay. Flight 236 was cleared for takeoff by the tower controller, and at 8.54 local time, the aircraft began rolling for takeoff. At the same time, Flight 831 crossed the active runway at Taxiway Julie 6, uh, which is located 1,700 meters from the threshold of runway 7 right. By the way, I know it's Juliet. Um, And the aircraft had been instructed by the ground controller to taxi to their parking position, Charlie 12, via taxiways Kilo 4 and Lima 2. There was no explicit clearance to cross the runway. 
apparently I didn't hear the tapes, but apparently there was probably no explicit construction uh, construction instruction to hold short of seven right. They don't mention that here in the in the narrative. No. Um, so the flight crew of the Airbus 330 aborted their takeoff roll and left the runway via Juliet 6. The aircraft subsequently took off uneventfully. An investigation revealed that the ground movement controller was a trainee assisted by an instructor. By the incident time, the instructor had already intervened and take, taken over from the trainee on more than two occasions to avoid traffic buildup. Hmm. The instructor was preoccupied with the task to establish positive ATC control without delay and probably had a lapse of concentration because he did not follow standard operating procedure to verify the position of Flight 831, which he mistakenly assumed had already crossed 7 right and was looking for a taxi route to the parking bay. Uh, so they say the cause or causes a taxi instruction without a specific runway crossing clearance was misconstrued to have included a runway crossing clearance. An aircraft one entered runway seven right from Juliet six while aircraft two was commencing takeoff on seven right. This resulted in a runway incursion and uh, contributing factors and instruction for aircraft one to contact um, AMS. Hmm, what does that mean? AMS? Yeah. Well, I don't know. For runway crossing clearance was not effected as a result of probable lapse of concentration. Verification of the position of aircraft one was not effected and subsequently an incorrect, uh, incorrect assumption that the aircraft had already crossed seven right was made as a result of loss of situational awareness when instruction was issued. Clarification with ATC was not elected before entering an active runway without a specific runway crossing clear. So, yeah, I think uh, blame can be spread here um, on both the controlling agency and and the and the flight crew of the uh, the seven four. Uh, that's what a couple I would of things say. here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I tell you, I've flown to this airport countless times and when you land to the east uh you always land on well not always but almost always land on seven left and so the the the, the taxi albeit a long one it's fairly straightforward and uh the controllers there are very good at uh uh, letting you know when you're clear to cross a runway, when you're not clear to cross a runway, they 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 repeat themselves if, if if they even suspect that you don't understand what's going on. Not only that, but they have very sophisticated ground control radar there mm -hmm. as well because you taxi around with with um um it's called ASD um uh what is it airport surface. Detection. Uh, detection. ASDE system. I forgot what, they, what, uh, what ASDE maybe. stands for. Yeah, something like that. But basically, it's basically you, you, you taxi around with your transponder code, and they know exactly where you are on the uh, airport property. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, so I, 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 I guess the fact that the guy was a trainee, and I guess the fact that he had, uh, you know, two strikes against him until that point uh, made the other guy, uh, I guess, the instructor overwhelmed, and he just... Yeah. just Looked away for a second, and then this happened. Now, the other thing with the with the uh, three forty that was or the three thirty that was taken off, uh, mm -hmm. he it says here that he vacated via Juliet six, right? So that's about what halfway down the run. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the chart up here. Um, so uh, yeah, he must have gotten to about you know north of eighty knots. So that's technically a high speed abort. I don't know what the uh, the data says, but uh, yeah, anything they, they over said they they were subsequently you know they they left, so it couldn't have been too high speed. No, no, it's been no, the low no, speed no. realm. And we were right. Airport surface detection equipment. There it is. I think ASD. they say ASD. 
I think yeah. is what the controllers call airport it. Airport surface detection equipment, exactly right. The other thing is uh, this this airport, as as modern and sophisticated as it is, doesn't have something that we have here in the states: uh, the runway surface um, uh, status lights, which are. Uh, ah, yeah. Are you know those come rock. in very very oh yeah come in very very handy uh, and 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 these lights will actually turn on automatically when there is traffic on the runway letting you know to stay off it um, and it's uh, and when once the run once the whatever traffic's on the runway takes off or vacates the runway uh, the red lights will turn off letting you know that the runway is clear and the cool thing about these lights and this entire system is that it's it, it works. Uh, it, without any input from any controller whatsoever, so that's yeah. that's that's really completely cool. autonomous. Here. I think, yeah, yeah. exactly. We have you, you have you have them there, uh, there in Atlanta, don't you? Well, I don't think we no, we don't. But you Charlotte don't? does. Um, yeah, I've, we have them here in Phoenix and my no, yeah, here I'm looking at it. There's, you don't have them in Atlanta. We no. they have them in Miami. We have them here in Phoenix. Uh, and a couple other airports, not 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 that many here in Heathrow the states. Has it's them, only says. yeah, they do. Okay. Um, Here stateside, uh, it's just a handful of airports, really, not that many. Yeah, they should they should be installed. I know it costs a lot of money, but still, um, it's a huge safety thing. I think that uh, oh, yeah. more airports should install these things. I think they do have plans to install them in other airports that may have been stalled a bit because of the uh, pandemic. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it says yeah. here that uh, it says here that only twenty airports, twenty U.S. airports have them. And oh. it's, it's just it's a phenomenal system. It really takes the guesswork yeah. out of uh, you know what the condition of the runway is as far as it being occupied or not. So mm-hmm. it's really cool. Yeah, I, I think they're great, and and that definitely would have helped in this situation because you know most of us, even if we thought we had clearance to cross, we see those red lights and. You know, you go, mm, are you sure you want me to cross? And, but again, Rick, um, anytime I cross an active runway, especially one that I know is being used for takeoffs, um, you know, I, I, that's one of those things you go, are, are we sure? You know, I, I'd say to the FO, are, are, are we sure that we were cleared to cross here? Why don't you ask again? And almost, you know, every single time the controller will not be upset with you asking Oh no, for that confirmation for clearance Here's a good um, comment from ian allen oh ian here's I'm, I'm sorry go ahead oh ian on the in the chat room says just got in from seoul this morning for the first time where they had them and they are awesome yep he agrees with us yeah, yeah. Go I, ahead. I haven't i haven't seen him in seoul it's been a while since i've been to, I've been, I've been to seoul in like a year mm-hmm. um they do have the the uh the green taxiway lights letting you know which way to tax i remember those in seoul but mm-hmm. uh uh, if, if you're talking about Inchon, this whole Inchon, I don't know about Gimpo. Maybe Gimpo has the runway status lights, but I, I don't. I don't know. I don't remember seeing them in Inchon. There's no reason to uh, use the other, names. There's no name calling here. <laughs> the other thing is um, maybe um, to, to point out here is that the way we use the lights, uh, aircraft lights on the runway, and what that means, and so. As 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 Jeff was saying, um, b- before we cross any runway, and if there is an airport, uh, an airplane holding uh, for us to cross, uh, as long as you're not issued a takeoff clearance, you will not turn your landing lights on. You will have your obviously your position lights, your 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 red, um, uh, I guess, anti collision light, and you'll have your white strobe lights. But you will not have your landing lights on until you're cleared for takeoff, and then. 
So anytime the airplane's moving under its own power, you'll have either a taxi light on, obviously if you're just taxiing around, mm-hmm. and if you take the active runway for the purpose of taking off and you've been cleared for takeoff, then you'll turn all your lights on, all your landing lights and taxi lights, and you'll mm-hmm. light the airplane up like a Christmas tree. And that, that means that, and, and if I, you know, I'm crossing a runway and I look to the right, look to the, look to the right, and I see an airplane with all its lights on, that's going to make me, uh, it's going to yeah. make me wonder, you know, it's going to make me wonder. The old hair what, on the back of your neck standing exactly, up kind of thing. What's going on there? So, yes, uh, Ian was saying. Oh, that's a, yeah. Oops. That's oh, what that's what he was talking about. Follow the grains. Yeah. Heathrow yeah, has the yeah. follow the grains. Heathrow, yeah. I remember them in, uh, I remember them in, uh, in, uh, I believe, uh, Amsterdam has that. I remember okay. them in Frankfurt as well. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, I don't know about run, uh, runway status lights. I don't think they have those there. You know, the uh, talking about like going uh, line up and wait and putting certain lights on uh, or mm-hmm. and keeping certain lights off. I, I, I've noticed that there have been times when I've been cleared across a runway and I look down there and I see an airplane that has all their lights on. I, and so I, apparently it's not a standardized thing. And some companies, SOPs, yeah, require them might to put be. all their lights on. I wish it was standardized for all the airlines, you know. When you I, – I, you know what it is? I – when you cross an active runway, when you cross, when you're actually crossing an active mm-hmm. runway, then yeah, you turn all the light. I mean, oh, yeah. but but then again, you might be this, this might be airline SOP specific. Uh, when you cross an active runway, you turn all the lights on. Um, yeah, but I'm talking about like when I'm crossing and I have all my lights on. I, I say I always facetiously say I have all the crossing lights on, so nobody could possibly hit us now. Um, <laughs> you know being very sarcastic, um, looking down at the takeoff position and line up and wait, sometimes I'll see that airplane down there with all their lights on. No, it makes you kind of go, and it doesn't happen that often. I think most airlines are doing what you, uh, your airline and my airline do, Rick, you know, just keep only having certain lights on, but not the ones that make it quite obvious, uh, that, you know, that they're rolling for takeoff. Exactly right. Anyway, so again, communication, uh, bad communication here. Didn't double check to make sure, you know, hey, are you sure we're cleared across here? I didn't hear anything about a runway. I didn't hear a hold short. I didn't hear a cross. Ask him again. Uh, Query the controller. Um, But uh, the controller, yeah, definitely the trainee. And I I think you're right. That that controller uh, supervisor, just uh, instructor, just got overwhelmed. Tried Mm. to do too much, I think, in a short period of time and blew it. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's all we got to say about that. And that is all we're going to cover unless we just run out of things to talk about and then we'll dig up some more news. But uh, in the meantime, I'm going to do this. Oh, um, we have a new. Okay, Liz is getting that up. Hmm. Getting to like me, getting to hope you like. No, I've screwed it up. <laughs> anyway, this is for specifically for Steph because uh, yeah. she kept saying that she was going to do this for me and I did it uh, without her doing it. Um, but it's not helping anything because I still want to sing it, you know, the the uh, the branded APG branded way. So there. So that is the music we play. Then we uh, talk to our hosts to see what they have been up to since the last time we did this thing. And Rick. Um, I'm sure that you have a lot to talk, lot to talk about. Yeah, so it's been a minute. It's been a little while, uh, but I've been doing. Um, so as as you all know, I'm based out of Ontario, uh, from the west coast of the United States, Southern California. So the 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 bulk of the flying that I do is, uh, but and this is by choice. Um, and can you you know really blame me? Um, 
just uh, Hawaii and uh, Hawaii out and back turn. So um, we go to Oahu, uh, the, you know, Honolulu is, and then we do uh, Kona, it's uh, on the Big Island, and then Maui, um, Kahului Airport there. So, um, and the reason why I like doing that uh, during this time of year is because um, when you fly in the lower 48 during the summertime of the hot months, you really have to deal a lot with, you know, weather deviations and, you know, just, um, just marginal weather different airports and i just rather not deal with that right now so uh just go out to the islands uh the flight over the ocean is you know easy you know you get down to the islands uh, sometimes it's a little windy but i like the challenge and then the layover is great because you know you're down to the beach you're gonna go uh, snorkeling scuba diving the food's great all the lay the layover sometimes is not as long as we'd like it to be so you really have to be careful as far as, as getting your, your your rest uh to do the uh the trip back so i've been doing that um, and then on, on my days off, uh, coming back here to Phoenix, I've been working very, very hard on the house, um, getting, getting ready to list it and all that. So we're trying to, trying to, you know, upsell this place. Um, so been working a lot on that as well. Uh, so, um, a lot of things going on and I know that, uh, the rest of the group, uh, oftentimes they uh, record, uh, on a, on a weekday, mm-hmm. Uh, at, uh, at a time that's good for Captain Nick and obviously Dr. Steph and you and, uh, and Liz and some, and sometimes that kind of conflicts with, uh, with, uh, me either flying or, or, or working my butt off here at the house. So, uh, but I'm, <laughs> <Yeah. the> <laughs> and we don't <laughs> do it. You know, we do, you know, try to get a bit, a lot of oh, the times yeah. when you're not here, you really don't, they're not here to give us your input and, uh, you know, so it's kind of hit and miss, but that's okay. You know, we're just happy when we are able to have you with us. Oh, I'm, I'm happy every time I can, I can, I can come on here and, uh, and hopefully, um, uh, so I, I put, uh, I put in to uh, go back to be Cincinnati based for a little while, which is going to be nice. Which means that's going to that's going to give me a bit more more flexibility as far as being able to you know record during the week mm-hmm. uh, and not have to fly out to the island so much anymore. Because you know weather wise, lower forty eight starting to calm down a little bit. So yeah. uh, and you know and uh, you know it might be Hawaiian and all, but it, it does it does get a little a little repetitive after <laughs> you know, a while. It's really, <laughs> it's really a shame to say that, but I agree with you. It's like. <laughs> You know, even you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say in the Air Force, I flew there uh, when I was flying 141s out off the West Coast. I mean, like 75% of our trips started by, you know, the first leg to Hawaii. And and then I did a little bit about a uh, about a year's worth uh, at Acme uh, doing the, the, the Hawaii stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it is paradise. It's beautiful. Uh, oh, but yeah. after a while, it's just like, OK, right. yeah, I'm ready for, to do something different, you know. And oh, I was going to ask you a question. Uh, I think only I only remember like one trip coming back from Hawaii that we had to kind of do any kind of significant deviation around a, a thunderstorm system. Almost never. I mean, just one yeah. out of I don't know how many I did. A lot. It just it just barely ever happens. I mean, just just the way the wind patterns are at that latitude, uh, and the fact that uh, it's you're, you're flying over such an open you know, space of nothing but water. And the reason, like really the, what, what really creates weather is the fact that the, the, the ground earth itself radiates heat a lot different than water does. And so that's why if you're looking at the window flying over water and then you look at an Island, you'll see that the cloud pattern very closely resembles the land below. And so that's, and, and, you know, add to that, the fact that, as I just said, the, 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 the wind, the, the trade winds at that latitude are, are, are relatively strong. 
uh, keeping that area clear of any weather. So, uh, um, I've, you're not crossing the, you know, the, the intertropical convergence zone. You're not yeah. going through any, any, any major <laughs> areas of weather. Yeah, so, a little uh, bit further south of the Hawaiian yeah. Island chain. And now you're going to see some. Weather. Exactly. <laughs> so like, you know, like when I used to fly, when I used to do all those, uh, all those flights between Tokyo and uh, Sydney, and you fly right across that area over Papua New Guinea, uh, before you get it to the North coast of Australia, that's, you know, that's some tricky stuff, but some of the biggest storms I've ever seen are in that area. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But at, at, at that latitude, flying east-west is really not a problem whatsoever. So uh, now that, uh, like I said, going back to Cincinnati for a little while, got a, you know, got better seniority there as well. So, uh, you know, going to be able to pick up uh, some uh, a bit more uh, varied type of flying. So looking forward to that. And then, uh, so we got back home to Phoenix. Uh, when was it? On... Uh, Friday, I think it was. Today's what? Today's Saturday? No, Thursday. Got back home on Thursday after uh, Kaya. Um, uh, this was really cool. She co-hosted the uh, the 17th launch of uh, Blue Origin's uh, New Shepard suborbital vehicle with a uh, uh, NASA payload. So that was really cool. So I, I uh, after my trip was uh, was done. So I, I finished flying on Monday of last week. So I went straight from. Ontario to Seattle, met up with her in Seattle, and then she had to, uh, uh, you know, prepare for the for, for the launch uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then the launch was Thursday. So we spent uh, from Monday to Thursday up there. She did her thing, mm-hmm. and then we came back to Phoenix uh, that very Thursday and have been here ever since. So what, what exactly was she doing? Like some kind of news coverage or media coverage? Or so um, so she is the director of uh, orbital launch for a company called Blue Origin. She uh, that's um, uh, it's it's owned by Jeff Bezos. It's kind of kind of like uh, SpaceX, but uh, better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, and so she, uh, she another one uh, of those billionaires that, that don't know what to do with all their money make rockets, <laughs> send them. So, up. so she, she, uh, co-hosted the, uh, a, um, a launch of, um, of the suborbital rocket because they have two rockets. They have the, uh, they have the orbital vehicles called the new Glenn and that, and then the, the new shepherd as the uh, suborbital one. The cool thing about these rockets is that they're named after the, though the first two are named after the first two, uh, as, uh, the Mercury seven, um, mm-hmm. Uh, John Glenn and uh, Alan Shepard. So well, she coasted at that, and then you know it was it was good. It was a, it was a short flight because it's suborbital. Just that uh, just gets you across the Carmen line, so 100 kilometers. Gets uh, the the capsule separates from the booster. They get uh, their uh, their microgravity. They run their experiments, collect their data, and it comes right right back down. So um, oh look, Wayne says that. Uh, thanks thanks a lot, Wayne. I'm, I'll I'll make sure to tell her. She was really excited. She was really Excellent. happy to. So there was sort of like a streaming thing, and she was co-hosting a yeah. stream. Okay. Uh-huh. Very it cool. Was, uh huh. Very cool. The 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 webcast for that thing. So it was uh, it was really oh, neat. cool. Yeah, it's the first time she'd done that. So uh, she was she was excited. I bet she was uh, great at it. I, I need to find. You need to send me the link so I can. Yeah, uh, yeah. Watch I'll send you the too. link. I'll send okay. you the link so you can watch it. Yeah. So All right. That that's that's what I've been up to really. Okay. Excellent. Um, let's see, I'm looking at, uh, the chat room here and somebody is saying, oh, Kelly wants us to talk about the yeah, Fargo I'll meetup find, again. I'll, I'll find the information for okay. you, Jeff. Hang on. I'll, All right. Uh, Liz is going to try to find the information for it. Cause I think I may have already, that may have already been removed from I think the, I kept uh, it oh, you the did feedback. I think I okay. Cause I put it in getting to know us. It might still be there. Nope. It's not. Okay. Well, Liz is working on that in the control room in uh, in a different country. 
Um, we will just briefly, I'll just kind of catch you up with what uh, I've been doing since uh, Wednesday. I won't, I promise I won't be too long. Um, that's what I said. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, I went through training, uh, yesterday and today, uh, recurrent training. And for us at Acme, it's every nine months. When I started out 32 and a half years ago, it was like every six months and then they moved it to every year. And now it's every nine months. I don't ask me why it's something about the AQP program and some kind of a deal they make with the FAA and they, they go, okay, that's good. Every nine months, that's make it so. And, uh, so I just went through that and, uh, did pretty well, but, uh, as Rick can, um, uh, you know, commiserate with me about is that, um, you still, um, even though you've been flying the airplane and you, you know, you think you have a pretty good handle on everything. And when you start studying for some of the maneuvers, um, stuff that you're going to do and the LOE and all these different things, uh, line oriented flying or ev- evaluation. Um, you realize, Oh yeah, I remember that. Like when I went through you know, my initial training and you know, you never, you never think about it or run across it and you're normal, you know, flying. And so, and you know, in that respect, I think training, and I've always thought that training is a good thing because it forces us to kind of get back into the books and kind of remember some of those things that uh, are not at the top of our minds anymore and kind of push it back up to where it probably should be. Um, and I know that Rick's probably much better than I am about keeping up with all that kind of stuff. I'm, I tend to, especially after, you know, more than three decades of flying, I kind of get maybe a little bit, not complacent, but, uh, you know, kind of heading that way <laughs> a little bit. So uh, anyway, uh, very happy that it's over with. And uh, now I can, you know, concentrate on everything else that's going on in my life and i've sent you a message about fargo okay uh you sent me a message about fargo where okay i also put it in evernote in you're getting to know you at the very it's the very last thing and get in you're getting to know oh you look at that evernote. i'm looking at the getting to know you segment okay so this is from kelly Greetings, APG crew and community. The time and date for the Fargo APG meetup is tentatively set for Saturday, September 4th, around 8 or 9 a.m., weather permitting. We will meet at the Fargo Jet Center, which is the FBO located on the north side of the airport near the arrival end of runways 18 and 27. Interesting people. Not If you're not interesting, don't bother to DM Kelly. No, it says interested, interested people. Uh, I purposely misread that. Uh, interested people should DM, direct message me on Slack and give me your contact info, number of planes, tail number, and souls on board. How about fuel remaining, too? Um, dangerous pounds. goods. We and Dangerous goods, yes. We currently have four people interested but would love more. All right, people. If you're up in that neck of the woods, um, make sure, well, if you're not on Slack, join it and then direct message Kelly. Um, maybe um, he can give us an alternative uh, way. He just to... went back to work. He just went back to work. I oh, think. he just went back to I'm work. Afraid. Okay. But I can, I, I can, I've got his email. I don't know if you want to give it out. Uh, I don't know if he wants us to give out his email. Okay. So, right. because he hasn't specifically let us do that. So, um, yeah, just contact, if you can't join Slack for whatever reason, uh, you can just send a message to the feedback and then we can kind yeah, of, we'll facilitate. You know, we'll facilitate the communication with Kelly. 
All right. So there, we've done that. Uh, oh, and don't forget uh, the, and we just talked about it earlier in this show, a few days ago, uh, the um, uh, meetup that uh, Nick is hosting uh, at Fair Oaks, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. One moment here. Here, just a minute. All right. Let me find the Fair Oaks there. Airport. Yes. September 25th, um, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Hangar Cafe. Oh, and we have the overlay up right now on the video. Very there nice. Very nice. In Woking. Yeah, it's a very woking airport. It is. <laughs> so, so proper. Yes. Yeah, so don't talk bad about anybody because people are sensitive uh, there. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. Uh, bring it down, Liz. Bring it down. Oh, sorry. Yep. <laughs> that's right. Are you, uh, are you going out this week, Jeff? Are you doing I am. I'm, uh, she's asking if I'm going out this week, and um, I am. I'm uh, supposed to leave on Monday through Wednesday on a three-day trip. Going to be in Wilmington, Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. The first, <laughs> Liz is telling me where I'm going to be <laughs> in my ear. <laughs> Wilmington. <laughs> I'm going to be in Wilmington the first night, uh, afternoon slash evening, and uh, that's in North Carolina. And then the second day, I'll be in Tulsa. I remember that one, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, hopefully, I'll get to meet up with uh, the uh, with Geezer, Larry. Gregory, and perhaps maybe uh, see Josh again, just depending on their schedules and such. But hey, if you're in the uh, Tulsa area and you want to uh, uh, meet up with a group of um, fantastic people, uh, then you'll have to find some other people than uh, Larry and, and myself and Josh. No, uh, let us know, contact me and all that jazz, and we'll, we'll figure out what we're doing. So what else? Anything else, Rick? No. Liz, anything else? Okay. Nope. Okay, very good, very good. And uh, so now we can move to the, feed, the set of feedback number two, and we are going to go to, I believe you said 11? 10, I think. 10. Okay, yep, it says for Rick. All right, here we go. So, uh, dear Captain Jeff and crew, I'm sure we've all been watching the heartbreaking scenes out of Kabul. And actually, when this was sent in, I think it was before the – Suicide yeah, bombing and the horrible attack there. Mm. Anyway, um, desperate Afghans trying to cling to the side of a departing C-17, another C-17 packed to the rafters with more than 800 people, a mother who gave birth on a C-17 as it flew toward Ramstein Air Force Base. By the way, I saw a story there, and I believe the call sign for these uh, Air Mobility Command flights, the C-17 flights, is REACH, R-E-A-C-H, mm-hmm. and I believe the mother named her baby REACH in honor of that uh, C-17 crew. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they, uh, yeah, the, the lady gave birth uh, on a C-17 as it flew toward Ramstein Air Base. I'm thankful for the skilled aviators flying these missions and the dedicated soldiers and Marines maintaining some semblance of security at uh, Kabul Airport. Uh. First, for Captain Jeff, the C-17 that's carrying the heaviest burden of this airlift is the direct replacement for the C-141 you flew during your time in the Air Force. I wondered if you were ever part of any airlift like this. Did you ever have to make a call, something like the call made by the C-17 commander who decided to take off with more than 800 passengers floor-loaded in his hold. Can you provide any insight into what these strategic transport pilots might be thinking? You know, I can't. Um, you're right. The C-141, I mean, the C-17 is a, a replacement for the 141 and, and a better replacement. It, it, it's it's something, I would say, between a C, C-141 and a C-5. 
as far as its um, its capabilities. Uh, it, it carries and holds much more than a 141, not quite as much as a C5, but this thing can get in just about anywhere. It has a phenomenal uh, performance, a short field, um, tactical, what do they call that? Tactical landing, tactical? Tactical descent. It's really cool because the, uh, the, the, the version of the Pratt & Whitney 2000 engine they have, it's a military version of it. I don't know what the, the military specification for it is. Um, the engine reverses not only the fan flow but the core flow as well oh, so uh, yeah it's 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 yeah it's an amazing amazing engine and so th- that tied to the to the platform itself and the fly-by-wire and the maneuverability and the and, and the legs that it has uh you know without being refueled and you know it's just it's just Pretty unbelievable incredible. so yeah so i have i actually have some uh some time on that thing in the sim 20 minutes <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> and Very and uh, Nick does too. <laughs> Due to our good friend General Bell, um, I've, I've promoted him several times. I think he's like a four star, four star general, maybe even G- Joint Chiefs of Staff by now. I don't know. He, he's he's a five star now. So only, <laughs> five star. Uh, he'd 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 be the, he'd be the third one. So was it uh, Hap Arnold and? Uh, oh, were Glenn there actually? There were five there stars. Actually, so five five star uh, five star general. You can only attain five star by order of Congress oh. under uh, when the country is at war. So hmm. uh, MacArthur, uh, Arnold, and uh, Eisenhower five stars. And the cool thing about Arnold is that he was a five star not only in the army. But then in 47, when the Air Force uh, broke off from the Army, he was a five-star in the Air Force. So he's the only cow. general to wow. hold five stars That's a both lot the of Army stars. and the Air Force. That is cool. cool. Well, you know, yeah. but they didn't know about Rick Bell coming up the pipe, you know. Yeah, there so you go. I'm sure he'll be way up there, too. Anyway, yeah. uh, getting back to being a little bit more serious, um, I fortunately never – uh, participated in anything quite like this. The only, the most unusual thing that I got to do when I was in uh, flying the 141 from 83 through 85, only flew it for a couple of years um, because they were trying to reduce uh, the limit, the liability uh, that the Air Force had. And they can only, you know, do me for two years. Just kidding. Um, the, okay. uh, I would have loved to have stayed on the 141 my entire time in the Air Force, but uh, they had different ideas. Um, we uh, flew the airplane down to Grenada in 1983, and uh, that was the um, uh, the little coup attempt, uh, the little uh, island nation of um, Grenada. And we had a there was a medical school down there, and there were a bunch of American um, citizens uh, going to school at this medical school that we were ostensibly uh, there to rescue. And uh, by the time I was involved in the operation, the initial wave of um, of activity occurred with the initial C-141 and C-130 flights. Um, because I was flying the 141 out of Travis at, at the time, Travis was only a, what they call an air land mission, uh, not air land and air drop. And air drop, of course, are the ones that, you know, the paratro- uh, paratroopers jump out the side or the back of the, uh, of the airplane. And, uh, so that's what the initial, um, mission was for the 141, you know, dumping all the, um, um, jumpers, <laughs> yeah, be a huge jumper dumper. Um, but, uh, but we did bring in, uh, military equipment and it was still, still kind of active down there. They still had reports of anti-aircraft fire and all that kind of stuff, which was a little concerning to me. Um, and, uh, we landed there and we, uh, did a, a, what do they call it? A hot, 
hot offload and onload, you know, kept the engines running. And uh, the uh, it was interesting to see because it was the first time that I've been involved in something they call a contingency operation. So basically what that meant to me, I think, was that uh, it, whatever rules that you normally, you know, uh, fly by – during non-wartime or non-contingency operations, well, they just basically go out the window. You just go in there, you do whatever you need to do to get the job done. And so we had people, I don't know how many people were in the back of the airplane that were just like uh, sitting on the top of, um, you know, military uh, equipment and not really strapped in properly or anything else, but it it didn't matter. We just needed to get out of there as quickly as we could and get them on there. And so that was just a little taste, a very tiny taste of what it must have been like for these C-17 people. I'm sure that there was much more uh, serious and much more risky situation for them than it was for me and the little Grenada thing. So uh, that's yeah. all I can. So I really can't yeah, provide too much insight. So. I guess you know, keeping in mind that the uh, the the runway itself was you know it's very hard to keep that runway secure for mm-hmm. the um, for, for, for aircraft operations, and so yeah. I can't I can't imagine what these you know folks must have gone through to uh, man get those uh, get those uh, folks out of there. Safely. You see all so, that footage, you know, like when they're trying to taxi the airplane and they're just like running all over the place in front. I mean, that would just freak me out. I'm thinking, I, I know I'm going to be running over somebody here. Yeah, they're not moving yeah. out of the way. And then we had, you know, they had them hanging on the side and they fell off and all that kind of stuff. And, oh, man. Yeah, that was terrible. That is, yeah, it is it is terrible. Um, and, and as far as the last sentence in that first paragraph uh, that Jonathan is asking about um, the, uh, what you know, what, what insight these strategic transport pilots might be thinking. I can tell you what this strategic transport pilot was thinking. So we're flying down after, after we've gotten our briefing at Langley, our top secret briefing. Well, not top secret because I didn't have a top secret clearance, but our briefing. We were flying down in the middle of the night, and it was the first time I'd ever been in a 141, and we were using a tactical call sign. Uh, normally, they'd just say MAC 50432 or whatever, and now we were using – I think that was the first time we used the REACH call sign because that was our call sign at the time. And we're heading down, and I'm. it's quiet. It's in the middle of the night. We're heading down into the Caribbean. And uh, I looked over at uh, Colonel Morazic, and I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning his name, and he was the uh, aircraft commander. And uh, I said, so, um, you know, we, we just did that briefing, and they were showing us that, uh, was it, Sam, Sam 7, the uh, shoulder-mounted um, ground-to-air anti-aircraft mm-hmm. missile or whatever. Anti-aircraft, uh, yeah, missile. yeah. Yeah, I think it's a Sam 7. I'm not sure. I could be wrong about that. Anyway, I'm looking at that thing going, so if they actually have these things and we're down there and they shoot one of those things at us, uh, what do you think is going to happen? And this guy had been in Vietnam. He flew the bird dog and been shot down twice and rescued twice. Uh, He was lucky he didn't have to spend any time at the Hanoi Hilton, the prison. Um, And he said, well, well, with any luck, it will just hit the outboard engine, and then um, hopefully the outboard engine coming apart doesn't take out the inboard. And I went, ah, okay. okay. And then I just I turned back around and started looking back out the window at nothing because it was you know completely pitch black out there, thinking to myself, this is strategic airlift. <laughs> This is what are we doing? This is a tactical mission, not a strategic mis- mission. And I, I don't know. That's what was going through my head. 
Yeah. Okay. Anyway, well, we're going to ask the part for Miami Rick. Um, let's see, second, primarily for Miami Rick. I saw that Acme Giant has been called up as part of the activation of the Civil Reserve Air Fleet craft. And it seems that Acme Giant has dedicated 767s to the mission. Do you expect to be flying in any of these missions? Or is there anything special about craft flying that you can share? Um, so these these 767s, um, the passenger 767s that we have, uh, primarily do um, uh, flying for the the Air Mobility Command, you know, to begin with. So these are these are airplanes that are stationed out to the uh, out of the East Coast and fly, uh, you know, the the, the Rammstein. Um, what's the other airport that I used to go to all the time? Uh, Rhine Main, uh, uh, Frankfurt. No, no. Uh, Frankfurt Hahn, Frankfurt Hahn. Okay, and then they go down to uh, they go down to Sofia, and then down to the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Kuwait, and, uh, and 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 all the other. All those other places, but I'm not sure that these seven sixes will actually um, go in country. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, that our seven fours are, are are going there uh, as of as of late since all of this happened. I know that they have been, in fact, uh, been called and to help with the evacuation and all that. But that that may and, and this is I'm I'm not sure. I'm just saying, and that's as far as I know. Uh, I think what we're doing is we're. We're picking up from from Rammstein or from uh, Doha in Qatar, Al Udeed there in Qatar, and then flying um, uh, westbound from there. That actually mm-hmm. go into Afghanistan proper, but but I may be wrong. Uh, as far as me flying these, uh, no, because um, all of this flying is uh, out of the New York base, and I am Ontario based. So um, unless. Um, a trip comes in an open time and I haven't seen any of those come up. Um, I don't, uh, I don't see myself going out there and doing any of that flying. So, uh, probably, probably not. Since Jonathan, uh, sent in this feedback, um, Acme, um, actually is involved in the uh, civil reserve, yeah. uh, air fleet activation for this. And I think I saw some footage on television that, uh, had an Acme airplane, a seven, six, I believe, uh, flying and landing in, at Kabul. in Kabul. Yeah. Really? Okay. Now I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe it was, I don't, I may not have had my glasses on at the time. So, but it was something that looked a lot like a, an Acme, um, jet. Um, at, yeah, I, 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 I think I saw the, I saw the picture and then I saw mm-hmm. the, uh, there was a, it was a, it was a captain and two FOs and I do, you know, I do believe it was a three thirty. Um, but, oh, okay. uh, yeah. I know, I know the picture you're talking about, but I'm, I'm not, I don't know if that was Kabul or not. I tell him, I mean, flying into Kabul, um, it's, it, I used to fly there quite a bit. It's, uh, and we used to go in there in the middle of the night because of the, um, and, um, the, uh, you know, it's just, uh, just the inherent danger of, mm-hmm. of, of flying in there. Uh, just the fact that you're going into Afghanistan and then, uh, we used to go into Bagram quite a bit as well. And the yeah. procedure to go in there was, it was very, very sporty. They would keep you high. And then you'd basically do a descending corkscrew <laughs> pattern. I was going to ask you about the that. runway. Yeah, you probably yeah. try to stay as vertical as possible right over yeah, the airport. Descent, yeah, with with all the lights off. So basically, mm-hmm. so it's basically procedure to, uh, if I remember correctly, we'd cross the FIR, the uh, the basically the boundary between uh, Pakistan and uh, into Afghanistan. Uh, they'd descend us down to the mid twenties, and we'd basically stay in the mid twenties until we were basically overhead. And then began a spiral, um, and then and then it, it wasn't really too bad because the once once you got into what's called I guess the the equivalent of the of, of approach control, they were military American military controllers, mm-hmm. 
very very uh, familiar with the uh, with the uh, topography of the area and uh, I mean and you and you're going in obviously with uh, with your terrain to display uh, so you're very well aware of where the where the rocks are and how to stay away from those and uh, and you basically fly in in the dark um, uh, and it was it was up to you to turn the lights on very very short final and land with the lights off. But, but you could you were you were allowed to actually land with the lights off and a lot mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, we did light uh, land with lights off because it, it actually be uh, and and I, I I when I used to do it I was like counterproductive to turn the lights on at the very last second because your sight is already you know accustomed right. to that low light type condition so uh, and then uh, you'd land and uh, you wouldn't uh, <laughs> there was uh, particularly in Kabul there was no ramp for us in the seven four it would actually taxi off the runway and then uh, and then you know, go to the end, come back around and then, and then park in the taxiway between the apron and the runway itself. Mm-hmm. So that if we had to get going, we could get going as quickly as we could. So wow. uh, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Very good. Well, Jonathan, uh, great questions. Um, so sad to see what's happening over there in Afghanistan and, uh, all those folks, um, you know, having issues getting out. Um, yeah. So See, there's Dave says uh, the actual less uh, craft flights wouldn't go into Kabul, but I think other uh, other charters would. That's okay. why. That's what I. That's what I understand. Yeah. Okay. So, so that may have been. I may, yeah, may have been looking at something else. Maybe at a different. They're picking up. On. Yeah, they're yeah, picking put, up the slack. Liz says, "Put your darn glasses on, Jeff. Come on." <laughs> Or it could have been my imagination. I have a very vivid imagination. <laughs> anyway, um, so good, good uh, questions, Jonathan. Thanks for that. And uh, let's move on to our last piece of feedback. We may be a little bit over three hours if you're listening to the audio only podcast right now. Sorry, uh, but we uh, we want to do as much as we can for you all. And this is from Craig. Craig, who who sent this in? Craig. Um, uh, let me scroll down see if we can find out. No. Do you know, Liz, which Craig this is? Uh, sorry, let me just see. Yeah, I can. I, can I think I might be able to find out by going to the note info. Craig Sanders. Anyway, um, it says, since Rick flies into Stockton, maybe he could comment on the recent Allegiant flight that couldn't land due to the tower being closed and the AWOS wasn't reporting visibility. Though this time of year, visibility is almost always 10 miles or better. doesn't matter yep. what it is. It's whether it's reported. Um, that was my comment, that last part. On another note, I passed my PPL check ride back in October. My ta- Okay, hang on. Let me uh, get my little app here to play. Um, okay. On another note, I passed my private pilot uh, certificate check ride back in October. My towered solo was at Stockton and an Amazon heavy landed right after me on my first solo lap in the pattern. They're kind of big. I heard on the podcast the next week that Rick had flown into Stockton. Always wondered if it was him. Ooh. And uh, first of all, let's hit the applause and big round of applause for passing your check, check ride, Craig. Excellent. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a big, big step. That is a, uh... Yeah, that's a good one. Congratulations, man. Way to go. And the other thing I was going to say before Nick, uh, Rick talks to, uh, about this is that uh, it's better for the 
the Amazon heavy landing behind you and not in front of you. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, true. Because of like wake turbulence, lake turbulence, wake turbulence. Lake turbulence, <laughs> lake turbulence is something you have when you're in a lake in a boat. <laughs> anyway. Or you fart. Or you, well, I can't say that, Liz. Um, <laughs> I know exactly what she was thinking. I was, was going to say this. I was like, nope. And anyway, uh, there is a video about the flight. Did I? Did I? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm getting all choked up. My bad. Let me see. I don't recall if I had this as a video that I was going to play or not. I don't remember. Um, well, I don't think you would know, Liz. I probably didn't tell you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's not in the uh, in the videos uh, in the. Uh, and StreamYard, but uh, I have a special little. Uh, oh yeah, I do have. Yay. Is it okay if we play a little bit of uh, of that? Any any objections? I know it no. sounds like that was a forty five minute alarm I just heard in my ear. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're going to be going over uh, a little bit. Um, okay, here we go. I'm going to share the video file and uh, and the name of the file is Flight from Hell. Here we go. We begin tonight with the flight from hell. A quick 60-minute trip from Las Vegas to Stockton turns into a 17-hour ordeal. Thanks so much for joining us at 10. I'm Elizabeth Klain. And I'm Tony Lopez. The news is also streaming live right now at CBS and Sacramento. CBS 13's Laura Hafley is live in Stockton with one passenger still reeling from this nightmare trip, Laura. Yeah, imagine walking into Stockton Metropolitan Airport. You're taking a flight to Vegas. You have a great time, and your flight back lasts 17 hours. Sounds like a nightmare, right? But for one group of passengers, it was a painful reality. For passengers on Allegiant Airlines Flight 161, an hour-long flight turned into a 17-hour journey. It was horrible. Flying from Vegas to Stockton, scheduled to arrive at Stockton Metropolitan Airport on Monday night at 9.30. They got in on Tuesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Here's what happened. The pilot comes on and says um, that the control tower is closed. The pilot can't get a hold of anybody on the ground in Stockton. They can't land without a weather report. So the flight heads back to Vegas. He comes back on again and says there is a thunderstorm in Vegas and there's zero visibility. And what's worse? They were concerned about gas, so we had to go to the closest airport. Roughly 175 passengers were dropped off at LAX, eventually allowed to get off the plane. And we have to go into a holding room. Jade Watts says they weren't allowed to leave this holding room and to make matters worse. There's no restroom in this holding room. Finally, their flight was rescheduled for Tuesday. Passengers were given $250 ticket vouchers and left to fend for themselves. We had to find transportation. We had to find our own hotel rooms. There was people sleeping in the airport. According to Allegiant Airlines, a visibility sensor that's a part of the airport's weather reporting system and okays planes to land went out and the Stockton control tower was closed, forcing the pilot to keep the plane in the air. You never hear of a control tower being closed. I just didn't understand why that air, like the area is not, is not manned by an actual person. And we did reach out to Stockton Metropolitan Airport to ask them that same question, why their control tower is unmanned after a certain time and why they rely on an automated system to help planes land. Is that normal? And if it is, is it safe? We haven't heard back. Yeah, what a mess. Laura, thank you. Live in Stockton tonight. 
That was uh, CBS 13, Sacramento, and yes, it was very unsafe. I mean, we never yeah, land very. or take off at airports when the, t- the tower's closed. Oh, wait a minute. Never. Oh, we do all the time. <laughs> I d- yeah, I, d- I did not too long ago. I know Stockton, actually. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about this, and, and Rick, you uh, put in some uh, graphics. I, I'm assuming it was you that put these in here? No, that was Liz. That was from oh, her uh, okay, JEP app. You. No, I'm just kidding. It was me. Oh, see, like, how does Liz have <laughs> a JEP Flight Deck Pro app? Uh, I'm so stupid. You'd be surprised. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Liz says, you'd be surprised. I have a lot of access to a lot of things. Um so when I when I looked it up, I, I should have looked at my JEP uh, Flight Deck Pro app. I didn't. I looked it up. I don't. I don't think I had my um, EFB with me at the time. So I went online and I looked up uh, AirNav or something like that. And uh, on AirNav, uh, the Stockton Metropolitan Airport, it said hours of operation continuous. So maybe at one time, maybe it hasn't been updated. But Rick, tell us what you uh, found out here. Well, you know, you do fly into Stockton quite often. Tell yeah. us about Stockton so, and its airport op- or tower operation. So I can I mean I can tell it from experience. Uh, these these folks do a fantastic job. Um, the controllers are great in Stockton, um, uh, but it's just it's 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 a it's a tower that closes at a certain time. And Stockton Tower is open from seven in the morning to uh, twenty one hundred locals, so nine o'clock at night. Um, uh, the interesting thing about um, an airport with a tower, a controlled uh, uh, airport um, versus an uncontrolled airport. It's the same airport. When the tower is open, this is a category, uh, a uh, class D airspace, class delta airspace. So when the, and when the tower closes, it goes and becomes a class uh, echo uh, type airspace. Um, the, <laughs> the visibility requirements to land in either class delta or class echo airspace are both the same, you know, three statute miles. If you have three statute miles, then you can land. Um, the other interesting thing here is that this airplane, uh, who was in, in, in radio contact and rate and radar contact with approach control was under an instrument flight plan. And uh, there are two ways of canceling your or closing your instrument flight plan. One is with the, your approach controller. Letting the controller know that you, you know, would like to close your IFR flight plan. You, know, you squawk 1200 like you would in your, you know, Cessna 172. And then land visually backed up by the instrument landing system. Or you can continue on on an instrument flight plan, land, um, using the ILS, uh, and then after you land, you call your flight service station like you would if you were a you know, GA pilot and close your, 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 uh, your um, IFR flight plan that way. Uh, regardless, uh, the visibility was way above three miles, and flying an instrument uh, under an instrument flight plan, an instrument procedure, you're cleared for an ILS. So you were, the minimums that would apply are ILS minimums, which are eight and a, and, and a half a mile. Um, and so I don't see why the fact that the visibility portion of the AWAS and not being operative would have been a, a uh, deciding factor of whether you were legal to land there or not. Um, I would have landed, you know, 10 times out of 10. Well, now here's the sticky wicket. What um, do you got? Okay. So um, the, I did some research myself thinking, well, you know, I would think, you know, I'd just go ahead and land. But then I thought, well, would that be a legal thing for me to do? We're not allowed to cancel before we touch down um, at ACME um, unless it's an unusual circumstance. And we are required to have an official 
weather observation. Um, so I believe that I'd kind of be in that same uh, bad situation, you know, between a rock and a hard place. Uh, that because AWOS, I mean, AWOS is fine to use as an official observation, uh, but uh, if you have to have certain things uh, included, um, AWOS observations may not be used as an authorized weather observation if either the visibility or the wind is reported as missing. So if it's if the visibility was reported as missing or they didn't have it on the AWOS, uh, the automatic weather observation system, I think that's what it stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have to have an alternative. And the the alternative, as far as I can tell, at least with my company, would be a, an official certified weather observer uh, on the field and making an observation and communicating with us that the visibility was at least a certain certain amount of visibility. So what kind of what kind of weather were you dispatched with? What did your TAF say? Um, I think the TAF. Um, I I don't know. I don't know what their TAF said either. But I'm not sure. As I said, I'm I'm glad we're having this conversation because I'm not really clear. And I should have. I meant to ask when I was just in training um, if anybody there knew the actual um, answer to this. And actually, uh, a dispatcher. You know, you know who you are and listening um, might have the actual answer here um, and what would be legal for us to use. But Mike Carroll's. Yeah, Mike Mike Carroll's weather information from these approved uh, sources must be complete and current to constitute a valid weather report. I'm not sure that the the TAF would qualify for the current part of a valid weather report. Maybe it does. Well, I don't I mean, know. Because I mean, because you have you have the applicable time of the TAF, right? From mm-hmm. from you know from from sure. time A to time B, and your your slot operating time you know, lands in between there. And if the if, and if the forecast visibility is 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 where it needs to be, and you and you're seeing it out the window, um, I, I don't I don't see why that wouldn't. I mean, I would. <laughs> okay. Um, here, here's another thing that applies to my company, I believe, and maybe others. A current weather report must originate from an approved AWOS, ASOS system, or a certified on-duty weather observer at the station who must maintain a basic weather watch, which is available before the estimated time of departure or arrival and must not terminate until after arrival or departure is complete. A report from a qualified weather observer always prevails over any completely automated report, such as an AWOS or ASOS. So... I think it's it's like one of those things. Hillel's like asking that, a question there. Oh, Hillel is saying, could another plane's pilot give you a pie rep on the missing piece? Not according, not my company. That would not be a a um, a, a qualifier for um, a qualified weather observer. Yeah. Um, so that and so I'm just guessing. I'm thinking that maybe um, Allegiant has the same kind of restrictions that I have at my company. Um, now your company, Rick, you know, you, you yeah, go into a lot more, you know, yeah. places that have more challenging situations and you probably land at airports that don't have continuously operating control towers much more than, than we do at, uh, at Acme, I'm guessing. Yeah. We used to, we used to fly into, uh, uh another one that was uh, very, very similar to this was, um, uh, Huntsville actually the, mm-hmm. they used to uh, close the tower down. We used to fly in there with the seven, uh, the seven, four. Uh, from uh, from Luxembourg sometimes, and the tower would be closed. And um, 
but to be I mean, but to be honest with you here, I'd have to go and and, and check out uh, chapter ten of the FOM and comb through that. Maybe mm-hmm. I missed something, but I don't. I mean, I don't see why I. You know. Uh, so here's the deal. And then, uh, you know, honestly, if 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 you knew that the visibility was like way more than three miles or ten miles, whatever, you know, um, and you landed and nothing happened, you'd be okay. I would imagine nobody would say a thing about it. However, comma, if something had happened, you know, you hit a bird, you have a bird strike, something happens, you you have some kind of an incident, uh, then they're going to do all the investigation and they're going to say, hey, wait a minute, how, you know, the, we I don't know how they'd find out, but, uh, you know, the visibility was missing from the AWOS, what, you know, what we're using for an official visibility before you, you know, ran your instrument approach. And even if you're doing a visual approach you're still on an instrument flight plan so um exactly uh, that's that's the uh, as and now as rick said you know if you can cancel we can't before you touch down then you can you're completely uh, on you're you're using visual flight rules at that point uh, exactly. bfr and so you all these requirements that we're talking about here with visibility i don't think really apply go out the window yep. yeah so and as Steph was asking about the uh, AWOS, the AWOS was in service, but it was just missing the visibility, and that's one of the at least with ACME, that's one of the two things that are absolutely required to be reported on uh, ASOS or AWOS. So yeah, I mean, I c- I can kind of see that they were kind of in a a sticky wicket, as I said, you know, kind of a situation where I'm like oh, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. So let's go. Back to by the way, they they the news report said that the flight was 17 hours long. Well, no, the flight was not 17 hours long. It was just it took them that long to, to finally to reach their destination exactly. because they were at LAX for uh, several hours or overnight even I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. But uh. But talking about like you know Murphy's law, you get there and you you know for a stupid technicality you can't land there, and now you got to go back to. Vegas, where you originated, and then Vegas has thunderstorms. You can't get in there. <laughs> I would imagine the pucker factor must have been going up because I don't know how much fuel they had left on that jet. I wonder why they went to LA instead of going to San Francisco. San, I mean, uh, you know, San Francisco's right down the road. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, don't maybe know. they don't fly to San Francisco. And, Not sure. Uh, they have. Yeah, so, it does uh, seem kind of an I mean, interesting I, thing. Why I'd go back to Vegas? Yeah. yeah. And I tell you, I mean, I, that's why when you do any kind of diversion, it is there's so much that goes to that end of that. You know, you mm-hmm. have to. It's, it's not only it's not only you. It's not only the airplane. It's not. It's, it's the passengers. Can yeah. the passengers get off the airplane? Is there a hotel for the passengers? Can you get fuel? Are you going to time out? Are you? Yeah. Know, it's, it's a mess. All these things are coming. No, it, it is a mess. It is a mess. And so, uh, and if you go to an airport that's not your filed alternate, then you actually have to get permission from dispatch. And you have mm-hmm. to get a a a, a, a release to go to another airport besides your filed alternate, uh, unless you have two filed alternates. So it's it's just it's just a pain. Um, so um, yeah, it's this is a good one. This is a, I'm I'm, I'm going to go and 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 yeah, let's, comb let's, through through chapter ten of the FOM, see what that says, and uh, and and then go from there. But at, as of now, um, I would have uh, I would have landed and I would have mm-hmm. uh, contacted my my my, my boss and, and filed a not an ASAP because nothing happened, but may, maybe yeah. a flight crew a flight crew report and right. uh, and go from there. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm still thinking about this one, and I'm glad that no. it didn't happen to me because I'm not sure what I would have done. Um, and and Liz makes the a very good point here. On that night, from Vegas to Stockton, the Funyun the holes in the Funyuns lined up. Lined up. <laughs> the the old Funyuns effect. The Funyun effect. Funyun effect. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, this is, we, we will, and I'm sure that those that are listening right now probably may have some, um, you know, definitive information, especially people like Mike Carroll's, at least for Acme airlines, he can, he can kind of maybe fill us in on, on what, uh, would be actually legal and maybe what some alternatives could have been used, utilized to, uh, actually land at Stockton, but wow. Interesting situation. And and that news yeah, report so. was just pretty pretty awesome and right, you know, perfect. Not. All right. That is it for I Very wish nice. I wish we could go on for another hour. I think that uh, Rick and I could easily <laughs> keep uh keep covering feedback and news and all that kind of stuff. But you know, you dear listeners probably go, Hey, look, I have a life. Stop talking and uh Get on, wrap this thing up because I uh, I need I have other podcasts I need to listen to too. So, with that, we're wrapping it up, and um, let's see. I'm going to let uh, Rick um, because he wants to uh, talk about our website and uh, social media and all that kind of stuff. So, take it away, Rick. All right, you want to know anything and everything related to the APG Airline Pilot Guide? Go to airlinepilotguide.com. Everything you want to know is there. The calendar, when we are recording next, the events, where we are, what we're doing, kind of underwear we're wearing, all that stuff is on the airlinepilotguide.com. Well, you know what? I think he's right. I think that probably is on there. (laughs) New category. Uh, we're also on Twitter as uh, at uh, sorry at Facebook page Airline Pilot Guy, uh, and then also on Twitter. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking Liz here for a for a spin. <laughs> Facebook page Airline Pilot Guy, Twitter at APG Crew. We're all on there, individual handles, and uh, Instagram as well as uh, and uh, is going to be APG Crew pictures what we're doing all that good sorry, stuff Rick, on that there and i think there's one more but i believe uh yeah hillel takes over that liz one, is right? apologizing for that <laughs> she threw you off a little bit but yes you are correct sir um uh, even way up here at lake burton and the northeast uh, georgia mountains uh, we have hillel in my shower for some strangers hillel can you do slack okay but i'm dripping wet all right that's okay you know just make sure you use the towels Okay, I'm going to scoot over here, and uh, here's the microphone for you. Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. And, uh, what? Do you what? still have some of that good shampoo from the last place? Uh, no, you used it all. I don't know. I'll tell you, that, that robe of his, I love it. I have the same one except I have five stripes. Um, so it's, uh, yeah. It's, Are you uh, talking about the Luferita? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're calling it now, I think. I Is think that Steph coined that, or somebody did nice. anyway. A Luferito. It kind of looks like a burrito and a loofah, but it's a Luferita. <laughs> and, and, you know, so you can use it to, uh, you know, scrub your back, or if you're hungry, you know, it's a nice little snack. There you go. And. <laughs> We're also going to thank a big thank you for Liz 
for doing all the hard work that she does in the control room. Always, 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 always. Ontario, Canada. I mean, I, I can't tell you uh, how much uh, how much she means to me and how much she helps me out with all this stuff. So thank you, Liz. Love you. And with that, we're going to go ahead and shut it down and wish you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. We will see you next time. Be good to each other. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy I fly over